Welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast where we reflect and dissect the movies of the past 10 years. I'm your host, Jack Draper, and with me is my co-host, Clay Williams. Interlinked. <laughs> within cells. cells. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Interlinked within cells, and the cells are interlinked into a dread that are dreadfully, been, and are interlinked into those cells, and those cells are within cells. Those moments are really hypnotizing, huh? You're like, oh man, I better not... Interlinked. <laughs> Repeat after me. Interlinked. 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 Okay. All right. All right. We're cool. Okay. We're cool. You're all baseline. No we're replicants baseline. here. You're baseline. No, we're all re- we're all replicants. That's what the test is for. We're trying to make sure that we're on baseline, though. Yeah, I, I guess it's a little more evolved than the first one in the the eye camera test. That test is to make sure you're suppressing your emotions as a replicant because replicants can't have emotions. Mm. That's the point of that test, the baseline. Yes. Because when he gets too emotional and takes his baseline, she, she says he's way off his baseline. You don't look like you inside. You're not even close. It's toxic right. masculinity, man. You have to w- suppress our emotions. I mean, well, there's a lot <laughs> Clearly, of stuff there. Like. You, yeah, you I mean, you, you can have all the takes you want with that. Have you ever seen <laughs> Quite the movie read. Equilibrium? With uh, with Christian Bale, uh, heard of it, not seen it. Yeah, it's like a gun. It's like a yeah, it's like a yeah, it is. It's like a gun fu movie. It's like Tay Diggs, Sean Bean, but like the but it's everyone take it's like so it's in a a dystopian future and everyone takes these pills to suppress all their emotions. It is wild. It is a very odd, odd movie. But like, and then like then Christopher Bale or Chris Bale's uh, Chris Bale. Chris Bale, everyone's favorite. <laughs> Chris, Chris Bale's <laughs> kids stop like what? wants to stop taking the pills, and it's just it's very it's very odd. You should you, you all should watch it. I think it's bad. <sighs> I haven't seen it in a while. Tay Diggs, everyone's favorite actor. Tay Diggs. Do you know who Tay Diggs is, Jack? I know the name. Okay. Fast and Furious, right? Or is he someone else? No, no. And if you're thinking of Tyrese, I'm thinking Tyrese. of Tyrese. Yeah. Come yeah, on. Tay Tay Diggs is much more mentally stable. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Tyrese. You're going through some stuff. I know. Uh, is this even worth bringing up the comparison of Ty Dig- Tay Diggs and Tyrese? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, Tay Diggs seems to have his shit, shit, you know, pretty locked down. He's a fun guy. You know this for sure? I don't know. I'm watching him. You know, he, seems, he seems nice. Well, anyway. Um, who, back... who, wait, who else seems nice is Josh Bradley. Yeah, cut you off there, I Jack. I wanted to do something to... professional. I wanted to have a good transition. I just was about to do that. Well, I had a better transition, so I I, I cut you off there. I'm taking control of this. This is my part. Her eyes were green. Her <laughs> eyes were green. <laughs> I don't know. Boom. Happy birthday. <laughs> this, oh, Jared Leto's dialogue in... Sorry, Josh, you could introduce yourself in a second, but, like, Jared yeah, Leto's done. That, that was my dialogue. Her eyes were green, oh, that's oh, it. Her eyes were... I mean, her eyes were green, let's all be honest here, but his dialogue in this movie is fucking wild. He's actually really good in this. He's I so mean, weird. He's actually okay. really good in this. I'm just going to dive into this point right now. Um, This movie is so good at taking the strengths of each of its performers and like playing into them. So mm-hmm. Jared Leto, um, I, I don't want to talk bad about the guy. I've never met him, but he has this. He's reputation. a little cult leader. He has. Yeah. Okay. He has. Well, this it's not like that's not and, me bad mouthing him. That's an actual fact. He had a cult in like some Island off the, off Sweden or some shit. 
Sure. So he, he strikes me as the kind of guy who likes the sound of his own voice and maybe thinks his shit don't stink. And so him playing a, you know, megalomaniac who, you know, can chew the fuck out of some scenery is perfect. Uh, Ryan Gosling, who started out in these mumblecore indies who like very not very expressive at all. He's cast as this replicant who literally has to suppress his emotions. Otherwise, he will be retired. Um, uh, Harrison Ford, who spent the last 20 years just like kind of walking. And no offense to Harrison Ford, but he spent the last 20 years kind of walking through movies and just being this gruff old man and really leaning into that. <laughs> cast him as this gruff old man who's kind of over it all. And, uh, you know, Ana de Armas looking doe-eyed and vulnerable. Like Rob, everything. Robin Wright? Robin Wright, you know, uh, I guess they kind of, she kind of found her lane with House of Cards. So, you know, yeah. just play Claire Underwood. Like and, the most powerful woman to ever live. Just like yeah. grasp power with her hand and just like, this is fucking mine. Maybe you Everyone can even can say a uh, subversion of Princess Buttercup. Yeah, I mean, she's kind of been making that turn for the last, you know, three decades, I guess. But that's, but, I think yeah, that's I mean, gonna, that's officially her most famous role. So you could be like, that's kind of garbage. I guess I don't. I, I guess I don't know what else. Like, but even like in 2000, she played the wife in Unbreakable. So it's like she. But like just like like you said, Josh, just House of Cards for some reason has just changed her into just being like also like Wonder Woman, where she's just like this complete badass who's like, yeah, I'm I'm very fucking powerful. Don't fuck yeah. me. Don't fuck with me. I will step all over you. I will say though, like her character is one that I don't. I, she's. I'll I'll respect to Robin Wright. I think she's one of my least favorite parts of Blade Runner 2049 just because she kind of I mean I guess well let me be fair I guess she she appears to be playing like a bit of a stock character like a the police captain who goddamn it get me results kind of kind of character that we've all seen before but at the same time like there is like flashes of more interesting things like there's a flash of a possible like romantic relationship with Kay which I mean I really don't know what to make of that but there's at least that implication and then like the way she protects him when when love comes knocking on her door and like dies for him theoretically hey like, literally love came out knocking on the yeah, door. Yes. Oh, hey. oh no well that's that's fun <laughs> yeah. uh yeah I, I agree that it's it's not one marriage of performance and sure character that's so solid like gosling and k or on yes. armis joy um uh, before and we go on and, and decker yeah of course. Uh, I would want to go around and see everyone's first viewing of the first Blade Runner. Ooh. And then this one. Right. Uh, so, JB, what are you asking you me? First, your first viewing of Blade Runner and then your first viewing of 2049. So this is fun. My first viewing of Blade Runner was in a college class called Philosophy and Science Fiction. And so in this class, we read Ray Bradbury and we read uh, Sartre. Is that the guy? Jean, the French philosopher. I'm sorry. I'm butchering his name. But we also like the philosophical angle. And I think that's I, I realize people like the movie Blade Runner for a lot of reasons. But like that's what like drew me in was like the philosophical shit about it. And it's probably because I first was exposed to it within the context of like a philosophy literally a philosophy class um so that was when i was in college which was you know i don't know a while ago now maybe <laughs> 10 years ago or something and um 2049 i saw age is a number 2049 i saw uh, in theaters 
in Dolby with like the vibrating chair situation. So it was mm. fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't know if I saw it opening. I, I think I saw it opening night. I'm pretty sure because I, I was a, I was really really looking forward to it. Not only because I really really loved the original Blade Runner, but also Denis Villeneuve. Um, that's that was all I needed. I was sold at that King. point. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, Clay. What about you, man? I'm trying to find out when was the first time I've se- I saw the actual first Blade Runner. I can't locate an actual date um, Do you or need some year. Think about it? I tried. I don't I don't really remember. It must have been early on when I was just getting into movies. So 2014, 2015-ish. Definitely before this, though. Yeah, oh, much much before. At least a year or two, I would think. Um, You saw it before I did. Yes, right? Yeah. I know that for a fact. That's in stone. All right, well, I'll take your word for it, unless you're lying to me. Um, (laughs) That'd be a weird thing to... I don't trust you. I am no. I will never trust you. Um, no, but like, I I remember like when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, holy, holy shit, uh, colors, you know, uh, noir, you know, like just just weird, you know, Los Angeles landscapes that I'm just yeah. like, I didn't know you could do it's, this. I mean, especially like in the '80s, the genre blend and the production design, I feel like are the two things that really people latch onto for the original. It birthed a subgenre. It, did yeah. yeah i mean all that neon i was just blown like and like those smoke stacks where like yeah. when the car was driving above this like or flying above the city i'm just like well hello okay yeah. what's <laughs> what's going on here the minute um, i think i've only i've only seen the final cut version mm-hmm. i haven't seen any other ver- i haven't seen the directors or the theatrical i've only seen the final cut because that's because that was like the like that was the cemented best by the time I've watched it for the first time, where people are like yeah, yeah that's the one that the apparently one. is a movie. Like it's it's the least tampered with. Like it's it's just a movie. <laughs> so yeah, the final I, cut. Yeah. Remind me, does that mean there's no narration and the unicorn no is involved? Yes. Okay. The unicorn is very involved, much involved, and there's, there's no, no like there's no extra footage from The Shining at the end either. It it ends with the elevator. <laughs> yeah, it ends with the elevator. Yeah. Okay, that's that's the version that I've seen too. I think I've seen clips of the other versions, but I'm like you, Clay, that that's like yeah, the one that I've seen, that the version of, that I own on DVD that I've watched a bunch of times. Like, and I kind of don't. I mean, I acknowledge that those exist. I just haven't seen them and don't consider them canon. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't see like even Ridley Scott is just like hey, just watch the final cut. It's, it's the better one. Um, <laughs> it's like, I mean, it's not as much as like. Would you say maybe this is like a Michael Mann situation? Like if it like Mike if it's like if Michael Mann made Blade Runner where he is like three different cuts and he's never satisfied with either one of them. Yeah, like he takes a ten seconds away from one cut. Mm-hmm. But there actually like, are major changes Kingdom from the directors to the theatrical. I, I know Kingdom of Heaven is like that too. Oh, another like Scott. The, the directors and theatrical are wildly separate. Interesting. Yeah, yeah Ridley yeah. Scott's about, a weird dude. We'll probably talk about him at some point. <laughs> How about your first thing in twenty forty nine? Um, it was 2017. I just moved here from Portland, uh, or sorry, from Portland. Blah. From I moved from Northern Virginia, right out of D.C. to Portland, Oregon. Uh, it was like the it must have been like the moved here in July, and this was released in November, right? It had October. to be because it was October. October okay, yeah. well, it was close to my birthday. I remember that, and it and so it, yeah, it's in October. And so I'm, we're it such dorks been, that we remember this, by the way. We're it must have dorks. been within the first six months of me living here. 
um, I was still living in the first apartment, which was like two places ago. Um, and I saw it in, I was living right by the theater. It was like five minutes away. It was like, you could basically walk down there. And it was this, um, the Cinemark theater in Cedar Hills and they had nice reclining seats. It's a good theater. I recommend. Um, and I don't know, I don't think I watched it in IMAX, but for some reason I feel like I did. Um, cause I don't think that theater has an IMAX, but it felt like it just like the th- visuals itself just blew my mind so much yeah. that I felt like I was watching something else. It's one of the better movie going experiences I've ever had because I mean, I loved the first one. Like it's like, you know, at that point before I saw it, I'm like, yeah, the first one's like one of my favorite movies of all time. Cause I, that's when I started really getting into it. It blew me away. And this one, it was just like, oh wow, you could actually, you could do more. Um, I mean, yeah. it's, it, I was just flowery acid and i heard great things um and that's when i was like oh yeah denis villeneuve this is like the guy uh i saw arrival before that i don't know if i saw anything else but oh i saw sicario and arrival before blade runner 2049 but that's Mm -hmm. it yeah Um, i don't want to i don't want to bury the lead clay you kind of touched on it i think this is better than the original the sequel is that's that's my take i like that We'll keep that. We'll keep that. Okay. In I mean, we'll, put that yeah. we'll put that in a pocket. We'll put, we'll put, put a, a pin in, in it. Yeah. Jack, you go ahead and do your thing about the original in 24-9, but yeah, then we can talk about that later. Uh, I love this section of our show. I love hearing uh, experiences and uh, in reflecting. And, so, I, and I think this might be the most perfect way that I could have stopped could have seen this this movie uh so i saw the original like you man in a film class and i i didn't know anything about it i knew nothing i saw it with a friend who considered it his favorite movie of all time and he really hyped it up and so it finished it was one of those classes where we would take it a chunk like for a week it wasn't like it would, the class was two hours long we could fit it in that length so we get to the end of the week and i was like all right, well, that's that's all well and good. I, I was a little underwhelmed. He hyped it up so much. And so fast forward to my seat. That was my junior year. Wait, 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 wait. Did you see that with Ex Machina or was that 2001? Uh, that was Ex Machina. So you saw Blade Runner, the first Blade Runner and Ex Machina back to back? Yeah, but that wasn't my first time seeing Ex Machina. Only the class paired them up together. But still, that I, I remember you that, telling yeah, me that. Yeah, still, yeah. So, yeah, then, that, yeah, so that was my junior year. And then flash to my senior year. I'm in another film class. I see Blade Runner again because it was also as a um, on the list. Then it was player, It was paired with 2001. Uh, oh. Then I saw it a second time. And then I was like, it's all clicking together. <laughs> it's like, whoa, <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> I'm a replicant. Uh, <laughs> and... Then that senior year class, I think that was that September. And then uh, obviously it came out that October. So I think that was just the perfect prep or I was just a little let down. I celebrated it like it was the coming of Christ and I was all hyped for 2049. And I had se- and I think like you, I had seen Arrival. I had seen Prisoners. I had seen Enemy. I haven't seen Prisoners Prisoners or Enemy. I just I've only seen. Oh yeah, no, no. I'm just saying, like I knew Denis. I I had known Denis. Mm -hmm. Um, and I saw it. And once we cover 
first reformed actually i'm gonna have a very similar story of when i saw that to this in that i went with the same group of friends the same theater we were in the same uh auditorium alone it was just us we went to the same chipotle afterwards like you know it was the exact same situation and look at, uh, you, look at you seeing movies with friends okay right loser I'm the I, top of the table. Yeah. I see most movies alone i'm the, let me make that clear <laughs> including this i see most movies with my mom so ha got you there <laughs> and uh yeah so i just i felt so over and like you guys i felt so overwhelmed by the visual by roger deacon's uh his his visuals were like i don't know this is like over uh, the top. Um, it felt like going to it felt like going to church almost every oh, frame of this like movie almost every frame of this movie needs to be in a museum like well. this is this is roger deacons's fuck you pay me movie <laughs> after 13 oscar nominations and no wins he's just like fuck you pay me i dare you to not give me the oscar after this one and he's so behind he's so humble and behind the scenes like i could never light a scene like jordan cronenworth did in the original it's like dude you're roger deacons you can do anything <laughs> yes and well, he, he tried to too. Like I read a, I read an interview with Denis, um, I think last night, and he was talking about like, so what's it like to work with Deacons? He's like, the man's, the man's an amazing, but me and him, oh man, it's just like two like obsessive individuals. Do, do a Villeneuve accent. Do a Villeneuve accent. Come on. Nope. Give me your French Canadian nope. accent. <laughs> I, 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 I. <laughs> Deacons. He's yeah, been hard to work with. Can, <laughs> Thing about Ryan Gosling, he does have a very, he has a very soothing voice. I mean, very I'm, soothing, I'm assuming yeah. you guys both heard him talk. He's an extremely soothing voice. Yes. I don't think I have. Yes. I honestly don't think so. I, I'll have he's, to. I'll he's have to really. He's not a hostile one. at all. Very calm. Like, he seems really like very calm. Yeah, collected. He says he, he seems yeah. like a boring yeah. guy. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like he even says so in this interview. He's, he's this guy was like, "Hey, what do you do for fun? You're always so serious all the time." It's like. Yeah, I make I make breakfast for my kids. I don't. I just eat and breathe cinema. That's all I do, man. I don't know what you want from me. It's his business, nope. man. Yeah, I yeah. mean, he just he he just said like I'm pretty. I'm really fucking boring. Like I don't know what you want. I don't know what you want me to say. Um, but yeah, he was talking about how like Deacons was such a professional and how he needed every scene to be lighted just perfectly and how he respected it and he like they collaborated and they got along. But it was very much an intense process working with each other. Now imagine that. But with two in the Coen Brothers, <laughs> two obsessive minds going at Deacons. But they've done so many movies together. I'm sure it's like clockwork. It's like, yeah. At least I hope, you know. I mean, like, whatever they hate each other's guts. Just like, fuck you, Roger. <laughs> fuck you, Joel. Right. Ethan. Ethan. All right, let's go make another movie. <laughs> it's like uh, PTA cinematographer. They hate each other. It's it's well documented that they just they've his cinematographer Robert, has Ro- shot all their mo- all of his movies Robert Elswit yeah Robert Elswit yeah but they just well, hate not, each other not the master yeah, they, not they're... Phantom Thread though his last yeah, two yeah. movies Robert Elswit didn't work on I wonder if that's why mm-hmm. he shot Inherent Inherent Vice he did mm-hmm. oh, okay so it's it's oh, like I, I forgot about Inherent Vice my bad <laughs> I just said so the master was his last two movies yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's it's interesting that kind of relationship, because you're so, you're the director must know, like what they want, but then 
it's almost like the cinematography, like the director of photography, right? So yeah. Well, as long as we're talking about Deacons and, and Blade Runner twenty four nine, I have to shout out Dennis Gasner, who was the production designer. Um, I already mentioned the production design of the original was in, incredible in their use of miniatures, but it's I don't know just as good in twenty forty nine, if not better. Like that very I mean, that very not, first yeah. shot, the very first, sh- or I guess the first shot is a green eye, but the second shot is like flying over the the farmlands and like that's all real in camera stuff. That's Tangible, not you know yeah. exactly. Oh, wow. It's it's tactile, and there's there's uh that's all over the place. It's it's tactile and like the um, I'm thinking about like when he when they go to the orphanage and there's that like uh it's four minutes long from the when he approaches the furnace and finds the horse in the furnace it's a full four minutes from the time he finds the page missing from the records and finds the horse in the furnace and that four minutes is just looking at deacon's cinematography and gastner's production design and there's and you're just you're in stairwells and, and metal yeah and, and yeah and like I, I can understand people don't like the length of this movie it's you know almost three hours long and like maybe you don't need that moment to be four minutes long but I got no complaints. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, I personally take issue with the length in that it's not long enough. What what did Roger Ebert say? No good movies too long and no bad no, movie is, is, is short. short enough. Yeah. yeah, right. Something like that. So it's all. It all just goes in a loop, right? Mm hmm. OK, let, uh, I found a quote because I was very interested in how uh, Denis uh characterized deacons villeneuve um just to specify uh, oh yeah villeneuve um, make sure we're not and, talking about different denis yeah and and so <laughs> yeah uh i wonder denny no um so i think this is an interview from fanny fair by jordan hoffman um and he's like so what is the deacon's difference and he and he's like rigor intense rigor each shot needs to reach its full potential. He will never do a pickup quickly. It all needs to be approved by him. He has a high percentage uh, sensitivity to light that I've never seen. In every shot, there's a feeling of pressure, tension, tension for the dynamics of the frame, the inner rhythm of the camera movement. Roger and I approach the scene similarly. That's not a lot. There's not a lot of friction. It's so strange. We are otherwise so different. It's like a lobster working with a giraffe. I wonder who's the lobster and who's the giraffe in that analogy. Yeah. That's very funny. He, uh, Jordan asks who's the who's who is the lobster, and he's like, I don't know. But at the end of the day, it works. This movie was like launching a rocket. There was a precise window, and time was compressed. Right now, I'm designing Dune in my bubble. On Blade Runner, I needed the dialogue and to bounce ideas quickly. He references Dune? Dune in the. I mean, Dune's yeah, been in production for, for forever. So. Yeah, this interview is from 2017. Yeah, November twenty fourth to November seventeenth. But like, I, it's funny though. Like, that's what you get from Deacons is he's an intense professional, but is very like is very collaborative and quiet. I, I he, think he even was, compares him to a monk later in this interview. I think it was for this movie. Maybe it was a different Deacons movie, but I know that he like he he wouldn't approve a second unit to like go shoot um uh just like B roll of some other location. Like he had to personally like okay the lighting and like okay the camera work for or, or maybe he i think it was actually this movie he wouldn't allow them to use two cameras they can only use one camera because he always had to be the guy in charge of the camera he wouldn't let someone else he wouldn't let someone else do it wouldn't let a second unit do it um greg How frazier is shooting he's like in his 70s greg yeah. frazier is shooting uh must be pretty Dune. uh he's also shooting this little movie called the batman mm-hmm uh, oh, oh, shot. oh, the Batman. The Batman. 
Um, Mr. He Bibian. shot Rogue One, Zero Dark Thirty, Killing okay, Them cool. Softly. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Foxcatcher. Yeah. Wait, did he do the... The good slate of directors. Did he do the Planet of the Apes films? Nah. He did Let Me In. Mm. Interesting. Okay, so that was the Reeves connection. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is just a gorgeous, gorgeous movie. Um, mm-hmm. I remember this this one shot. I mean, I could be referencing any shot. Um, when he's visiting Deckard, which astounds me every time I see this. This is my my third yeah. watch. The orange. And astounds me. Oh, uh, yeah. It astounds me that we get an hour in and we and we're finally meeting Deckard. Like we're two hours in when we meet Deckard. Yeah, we're two hours in. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, it. I was just gonna say that shot of him in the silhouette and those two statues on either side of the frame. Like I looked to my friend. Like, are you seeing this? Yeah. <laughs> like, because we just we saw the trailer together. We saw the Q and A's of them together when the trailer came out. Like, oh man, it, it was just the. Uh, we we felt like so satisfied. It, it was the greatest feeling. I think that this is. I, I don't like hyperbole, but I think this might be like the most beautiful big budget movie I've ever seen. Like mm-hmm. you, you, this movie costs like what two hundred fifty million or something absurd like that, and you just don't like. I feel like one hundred eighty-five like is the highest reported. Okay, so but I feel like movies like that are usually more. Um, I, no disrespect on when he makes movies of that of that size, but I feel like you know you don't usually get movies that look this good. You know, I mean, it looks like it's you know, carefully made art house movie or something, mm-hmm. something like that. It, it's a giant blockbuster instead. Yeah. But uh, uh, Jack, you mentioned something that I also want to talk about is the marketing. Uh, you mentioned you saw um, Harrison Ford in the trailers. I'm kind of flabbergasted by some of the marketing decisions of this movie. I know that it, like this is considered a box office bomb. And I know that people point to the one at that. Yeah. yeah. They, they point to the runtime as a reason, but also like, um, some of the decisions made by the by the studio and by the marketing like kind of surprised me. I, I guess you, I guess you can't not have Harrison Ford in the marketing. Like you, you have to draw people in by sell, telling people Harrison Ford's in this movie. But I feel like that was like a third act surprise that would have like really landed hard in theaters mm-hmm. if that was like a shock to people. And mm-hmm. but also like they wouldn't let I don't know if you guys remember this but they wouldn't let any of the film press talk about the fact that Ryan Gosling plays a replicant even though you find that out within the first 10 minutes 30 seconds like, yeah I, yeah i mean not maybe not that quickly but like within the first fight it's yeah, it, yeah, it's, quick, it's a cool it's reveal like it's a cool reveal that you know Sapper Morton uh, played by um Dave Batista Dave Batista he stabs him in the arm and like that's how they reveal that he's a replicant that's a cool reveal i'm not going to take that away but that's eight minutes in nine minutes in something like that. And like, they wouldn't let any reviewer discuss the fact that Kay's replicant. And I feel like you can't sell them. That's movie very otherwise. weird. Like, yeah, what, I are don't, you, I don't, what are you doing? Yeah. And you're going to reveal that Harrison Ford's in it two hours in, but you're not going to reveal that Gosling's rep. Like, I don't know. I feel like they were, there were some odd choices made that, um, didn't do themselves any favors, I guess. I, I get, I got some hard, <clears throat> I got some hard truths to drop about oh. hard truths. This was one of the dumbest decisions I've ever seen a studio make. Now, I love the movie. I would never replace it. I don't really care that. I Warner think we Brothers all love lost. the movie. I think we can all. I don't say think. That. I, I don't care. Warner Brothers lost eighty million dollars. The idea to ever give Denis a hundred and eighty-five million dollars for a rated R two-hour and forty-minute movie based a sequel based on an IP that has almost no mainstream value mm-hmm. is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. I think we should also take into consideration that Blade Runner itself isn't 
was a cult favorite. It was not financially successful either. Oh, it oh, was no. even a big. It was a bigger bomb than this was. It was a way bigger bomb than this was right. originally. Oh, it took, yeah. You know, yeah. It took twenty years to get legs. You know. Yeah. I just I don't know how you say yes to this as a studio executive. If they were just focusing on the art, sure. Like if they wanted to make the best movie, of course. Again, I don't care that a big studio made lost eighty million dollars. But if I'm at that position, at that perspective, I fire anyone who said yes to this. Um, but I'm so glad they said yes. I am too. Again, let me be clear. I don't fucking care. They lost money. I never really. I I I am actually like, I am at a point where I'm so tired of box office conversations. I can't stand it. Like I've been doing this intense research essay on on John Carpenter's The Thing, and every single piece of writing I've ever found for the movie, they at least talk about how disappointing it was at the box office. I don't fucking care. Let's talk about the movie. I'm tired of it. I'm well, tired yeah, of that's talking only about because all this it came out money. right around the time as ET. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like I don't, but like it, it's the, the that point has been made so many times. And any interview Carpenter has about the movie is, oh, why do you think it lost money? I don't fucking care. I'm, I think us as a film, like the film nerds and the film Twitter of the world, why do we care so much about the fucking money, dude? Let's talk about the art. It, r- real quick, I, I agree with you in theory, but in defense of box office conversation. The reality is, you know, what makes money determines what gets made next. And I agree. But there is a conversation. I, I'm going to shout out uh, Lindsay Ellis. I don't know if you guys watch her videos, but everyone should be. Uh, a video she made a few years ago was about the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And I think the video is called uh, Dead Genres Tell No Tales. And she basically talks about how um, executives kind of take the wrong lesson, learn the wrong lessons from box office success and failures. And they kind of make sweeping generalizations about what does and what doesn't make money. And so I think that's um, an interesting part of the box office conversation is like, yes, this did or didn't do well at the box office, but what did that mean moving forward? Like, was the studio gun shy about making a certain kind of movie or, you know, gun shy about giving a certain filmmaker money after this? Like, what was the repercussions of this box office failure or success, you know? And um, I guess it reminds I guess me of Dr. Sleep. I've not seen Doctor Sleep, but yeah, that was a bomb too, right? If yeah, I me remember. and Jack watched it. Uh, we we watched the director's cut together uh, via Skype, and we were both discussing, okay, why would you say yes to this? And was it's this, crazy that, that they did. Yeah, that Flanagan. Flanagan. Mike Flanagan. Okay. Um, but I guess what I mean is, I don't actually. I enjoy talking about box office once in a while, and that might just sound like one of the more hypocritical things I've ever said uh, because of what <laughs> no, I no, just no. said no, 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 two no. minutes ago. We're, we're we're talking about two different but, things, I think. Yeah, go ahead. But I am exhausted by how dominant it is in yeah. film, in the conversations yeah. about a movie. Mm-hmm. I like the sociological aspect of it. If we discuss like X Men or why this or why does Star Wars not transition well like into China and that kind of stuff, sure that's fun. But when I see and when I like talk about a piece of art that I think is truly tremendous, and I only hear about the box office. Right. I get truly exhausted. Yeah. It's interesting to talk about box office in terms of patterns, in terms yeah. of the big picture and trends. But like if like you're a talking about executive. Yeah. And, but if you're talking about like a movie, if we're just talking and having a conversation about Blade Runner 2049, I'm not sure how relevant the box office is, I guess, to your point, Clay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But again, I think it's only I so relevant. I'd fire it... everyone associated with this. Everyone. <clears throat> you, All of them yeah. would be gone. It's the dumbest decision from a marketing standpoint. No, of course, this movie was going to lose money. Go on, Jack. From our circle, at least, this movie's really beloved. It's 
it's really treasured as as something that should not work at all, but it works in pretty much every level. Um, I'm I'm astounded by the, how well the stuff works. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get into that. And yeah. the reason why the uh, the box office conversation might be so prevalent is because I can't think of a soul that doesn't like this, or I, at least at least hates it, or I should say uh, hates it. We we can are, we can talk about yeah we can talk yeah. about detractors yeah there are yeah. a decent amount actually I, I, I've learned more as time goes on like I think this, there's like way more detractors for this than there are there are for Arrival and like yeah. in movies yeah, like sure. Mad Max like Arrival did I, make a lot of money my, Arrival was very successful um it just cost 185 million dollars that's a, that's just a classic word of mouth hit where it's like I agree check this out yeah. Is Amy Adams bigger than Ryan Gosling? Maybe. No. I mean, bigger how? Like, among to whom? I think well, she's... Pro- if you go cross, like, if you go, you know, like, uh, all four quadrants, if you're a studio executive, if you're looking at an all four quadrant movie star, I feel like Amy, Amy Adams is a better pick. Young, it's... old, you know, like, all of the demographics. The different, yeah, demographics. Uh, I think if you polled 100 people and asked them if they knew who Ryan Gosling and Amy Adams are, you'd probably get similar-ish answers. I think Ryan Gosling is probably a bigger box office draw than Amy. I mean, I'm talking out of my ass. I have no idea, honestly. I think they're pretty comparable. I think but they're pretty I, similar. Yeah. I think Arrival, was that PG-13? Yes, uh, it must have been. It was shorter. It no, was it was PG-13. not. It, it had to be PG-13. There's nothing R about that movie. I don't, there's nothing R about 8th grade. Had, That's still got an R rating. It had Renner in it. You know, PG-13. It had, it, it had an it's Avenger PG-13. in it. Um, uh, oh, yeah. Forrest Whitaker I, doing whatever he was doing, which is great. Um, Michael Stuhlbarg. He's, he's not a box office drawer. Yes, yes. Okay. Well, because you talked about it, Jack. I'm gonna, I want to talk about why, what the things about Blade Runner 249 that shouldn't have worked that I'm just yeah. like, <laughs> flabbergasted they were able to pull off uh number one i guess what i was worried about before this movie came out was um the deckard as replicant thing mm. um because like that's like we, we haven't mentioned it yet but that's like one of the most fun things about the original in my opinion was like pulling apart i mean pulling apart whether or not deckard is a replicant uh that was like a question mark at the end of the first movie by the way where do we all land well, or do we not give a shit that's the thing I was going to say is like, I think that, you know, film goers talked for decades or, you know, people who liked the movie talked for decades about whether he was or wasn't. And then this movie comes along and says it doesn't matter. And that's what I think is really interesting. But it, it says it doesn't matter whether or not he's replicant while still keeping the question, keeping the question there. In fact, there's like a they almost like wink at it uh, when Deckard is talking to Neander Wallace, uh, Jared Leto's character in the third act. Um Jared Leto says, it's almost as if you were designed for each other. Pause. If you were designed. And like, you know, basically saying, maybe you were, maybe you weren't made in a lab. And then, um, actually, if you read the screenplay, which, by the way, I, I know I mentioned it when we talked about Moonlight. I'm going to mention it again here. This screenplay is an amazing read. And there are like things in it that like you don't see on screen that like really add color to the movie. And mm-hmm. in that moment in the screenplay, it actually hangs a lantern on that moment and says, we st- we're basically not revealing whether or not he's a replicant in this moment. And uh, we're doing that on purpose. And we're so at, that, we're, 
consciously kind of yes. scraping it past it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, like or, I can't remember exact wording, but like the wording in the in the scene direction was something like the question remains unanswered or something like that, or you know, not a definitive answer. Um, but also like I, I I was curious what more stories could happen in this world, I guess. And I think that this movie really like deepens the Blade Runner mythology. Like I think it's like the, I think the first the arc of the first movie is learning to empathize with replicants, like learning to see the humanity, quote unquote, in replicants. That's like, you know, uh, Roy Batty's final speech is about him having a soul, basically, and and the tragedy of his death, even though he's not literally human, he does. He's granted free will. That's right. the one thing they don't have. Yeah, right. And he he kind of. His his death is a tragedy, whether or not he was born or made in the lab. Like that's kind of the end point of the movie. Like you, the the replicants start as homicidal maniacs, and then by the end you kind of recognize you see some of yourself in them. That's that's the arc of the first movie, and then like this movie takes empathy for replicants as like a starting point, and then it it pushes on the the difference between humans and replicants even more. Like the first movie was the difference between humans and replicants is um, emotional response to stimuli right like the, the void comp test that's what it's testing like mm-hmm. that's the that's the only outside difference between this robot and this human and now you're kind of pushing that even further like if if a replicant is born like you know then they don't have implanted memories they just have lived memories mm-hmm. so like the emotional cortex they form all of our emotional cortexes are formed by our lived experience and so if, if, if your emotional cortex is formed by a life you've lived and not by memories implanted in you, then what functionally makes you different than a human? And that's why, like, that's why it's a threat. That's why, you know, Robin Wright tells him to find this replicant kid and kill it because it can't come out that this replicant kid exists. It cannot come out that replicants can be born because that would destroy the hierarchy of society like that. that destroy the wall. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it, it, like the wall of society is that there is a hierarchy to things humans up here replicants down here and like there's an implied subservience because humans create replicants replicants could not exist without humans but if you take away that distinction that subservience then suddenly it's like well replicants why the fuck are we listen to humans why the fuck are we allowing them to kill us like this you know and um it's That's i mean it's, why i like sorry go ahead sorry. no i mean i was just gonna say it's a movie about oppression i mean both movies are about yeah. oppression but this one in particular like really highlights that about the blade runner world and and dives into it and also the um the k character is almost as tragic as batty because he's he's sacrificing himself to let deckard go to anna almost as if he's he's choosing actively um like like batty chose actively to to save deckard and and deckard's involved in both these guys damn yeah well i mean roy saves roy batty saves deckard so that basically so someone can hear that final speech before he dies yeah. basically He's that's not really just talking to avoid yeah witness exactly. me <laughs> very good yeah exactly witness me and then you know he he wants i've seen things you people wouldn't believe you know he wants in all these mm. moments will be lost in time he wants someone to like have known rain. Yeah. yes he wants someone to hear i was here i saw shit and now and then no evangelist starts playing yeah. right Vangelis. <laughs> And I, I guess Kay, you know, I guess Kay wants the same thing. Ultimately, he brings Decker to his daughter so that he can be have been a part of something real. That's like what he wants the entire movie. You know, and that's a good that's a good uh, parallel to draw between Roy and, and Kay. 
Well, do you want? I can blow your mind even further about that comparison. So when so like people after this movie came out, critics and people are like, so does K really die? Does K really die? And they ask one of the screenwriters this is like, hey, is K really dead? And he's like, I thought it was kind of apparent when the musical cue of when he dies is the same of Tears in the Rain. Mm. Mm. And I'm like, I thought that was kind of on the nose. Like, you know, like I'm surprised people kept thinking that he didn't die. It's like. Yeah, referring to the use of the Tears in the Rain musical motif in the final scene. Like, yeah, no, Kay's dead. Yeah, that's the use of nostalgia and iconography is so intelligent. It reminds me of uh, Creed in how it uses the Rocky theme. Yeah, it, oh, it so good. It doesn't over-disperse itself. It just, it's very, it uses itself Cooper, very sparingly. It Cooper. picks its spots. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, huh? That soundtrack is so fucking bomb too. By like the, like how they utilize like that. That's another conversation. But um, Cougar's got a good decade. Let's just leave it at that. You'll you'll um, do Creed at some point, right? Have you done Creed yet? Of course, oh, eventually. No. Okay. We will um, definitely do Creed. We will uh, definitely do Creed. Like we will Creed. definitely. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no. Like I think the Roy Batty stuff is like the comparison. I think is really smart. Um. I think that's really. It's really necess- necessary to this whole conversation about Blade, like the idea of Blade Runner and you know sentient, um, sentience and all that. I mean, that's why like your whatever class you were in, Jack. That's why they paired it with Ex Machina, asking the essential, essentially the same question as, if you have sentience, don't you have the, uh, don't you shouldn't you have the right of free will? Like, shouldn't you have the right to like uh, autonomy and stuff like that? If you can think at that high of level if you can feel you know it's this you know it's her it's all these movies i mean that's the essential question we've been asking for for quite a little bit when it talk about artificial intelligence or machines in general or what makes a human a human um it's very yeah, you know, exactly very philosophical stuff mm-hmm. um, and that's what that's yeah. what drew me to the first movie you know that's why i like the first movie so much is the philosophical shit you know the underlining a difference between robots and humans invites us to consider what exactly it is makes us human and the answer in the Blade Runner universe is again like um empathy basically us being able to identify emotionally with another being like the opening scene of the first Blade Runner is someone giving a void comp test to uh Leon who Mm -hmm. ends up shooting him but like he's giving him he's asking him questions hoping to elicit an emotional reaction and that's like that's what the cells interlinked thing is too. It's trying to get a rise out of him. And so, you know, if replicants can't emotionally identify with another being that outs them as a replicant, basically. And so that's so interesting to me that like what makes us human is our ability to, you know, emotionally connect with something else to feel. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and I, I find it really, cause I feel like Blade Runner itself started this trend of questioning artificial intelligence because the novel that the first Blade Runner by um, is Philip based K. off K. of Philip K. Dick's uh, Dreaming of Electric Sheep. Mm-hmm. They came that came out in '68, so it's like uh, wait, when was 2001? '68 also. Interesting, huh? Well, Arthur C. Clarke and student Stanley Kubrick were working on the novel and the movie for. I mean, they. Arthur C. Clarke is credited as a screenwriter on on 2001, but like they worked simultaneously on the on the novel and the and the screenplay. Interesting. Mm. So I wonder, I wonder if maybe time. that was a coincidence or they. It, you know, I feel like it's a more coincidental, but like that's when that question really started to really be asked. Is like, 
like are really explored. I feel like maybe it was it was asked at some point of what's really like sen- sentience, but like that's when it was kind of like let's 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 talk about this shit. Well, yeah, I mean, um, there's but, also like yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm kind of spitballing here, but that's like when computers were becoming a, a bigger deal. Arthur C. Clarke like per- mm-hmm. famously predicted modern computers, and so um, you know, this is 20 years after Alan Turing, but like Turing had a thing about the distinction between me- humans and machines and mm-hmm. we were just talking about our rival and i'm thinking about what was going on in, in the world in the late 60s like we were going to space for the first time and i wonder if people were beginning to question like what's going to happen if we encounter other beings out there and and you know the difference between us and them and that kind of thing and again what what makes us what makes us human what is it about our mm-hmm. humanity that defines us our sick clothes <laughs> that's, sweet threads that that that's what makes us different. Uh, can we talk about the leather dusters in Blade Runner, both in the oh, original boy. and in this one? We need to bring those mm. back. Yeah. Mm. That's Is, the quarantine are those, do those coats really exist where you like use your those like collars and you flip them up and then you use them as to like cover your face and stuff? Do the, like are those like real things? Well, where, like I think I might know the answer. Who gives a shit? It's dope. No, but I want it. That's what I'm. Yeah, I have to believe those are big in Scandinavia. I'm sure those oh, exist in Scandinavia. 100%. Oh my God. 100%. That's all they wear. That's what they, that's where, that's how their children are born. They just, they put them directly into them just to cover the, cover their face. It's so cold outside. Speaking um, of weather, speaking of weather um, and other things like that, uh, I love the. I love the Los Angeles of 2049, like of the year 2049, they portray um, that it's always cloudy from pollution. It rains all the time. I love that the expanse between Los Angeles and San Diego is now just literally a dump for Los Angeles' trash. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been to that. I don't know if you've ever been to that part of California, but it's like a it's like a beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. area just driving down I-5 between LA and San Diego. And just the fact that it's all just a dumping ground now. Is yeah. not only like it's like believable and really sad, but also like I don't know. I feel like that's inevitable. It's kind of like a vision nobody wants to yes. call out as a vision. And, yeah. Um. The 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 dam, like the seawall in 2049. Um. There there's a detail in the script. I don't think it actually appears in the movie, but in the script they call it the Sepulveda Seawall. And uh, to those that don't know Los Angeles geography, Sepulveda is a is a north south road in L. A. It's the longest road in L. A. And it's like several miles inland. So if they're calling this the Sepulveda Seawall, I can mm. only imagine that means that the sea has increased by like five miles and covered up Santa Monica and Brentwood and all these places. Oh my god! In the next so twenty five years. So I was I was gonna actually ask. Funny enough, so in the very like in the final fight scene, I, I know we're skipping all over here, but this connects. In the final fight scene, we're in this like like I don't want to say ocean, but is that like the, the Los ocean. Angeles? Yeah. Okay, is it that it for some reason it felt like the Los Angeles Reservoir, you know, like in T2 where the truck is driving, um, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, in T2 that's the LA River, yeah, um, which is empty for like Los Angeles. But I feel like the design of it and like how I don't know, maybe I'm just fucking bullshitting here, but like so. A couple things. I'm again. I I live in Los Angeles, so I apologize to anyone who doesn't. You know, whatever. Uh, The airport is not really close to the water but like when you fly out of la you always fly over the pacific mm. always like all outbound flights f- take off going uh west and then if you're flying east you just do a 180 in the air so the fact that they're like 
that scene is they're going off world, quote unquote. So like they're basically at the airport or the equivalent of a, you know, transplanet travel airport. And mm. so I'm pretty sure that's got to be the ocean because there's not only like okay. waves lapping up. That makes sense. But also like, yeah, I mean, like flying over the ocean is a part of flying out of Los Angeles. So okay. well, I yeah, I'm, dumb pretty, now. I'm pretty sure that was the Pacific. No, I don't, I don't think so. Not at all. Yeah. Um, I just was like that wall that was like that they like landed on i'm just like i don't know it does it does look look a lot like the la river basin in, in t2 and also like i think mm-hmm. part of thank you I can't, I can't remember what water is in chinatown granted that's like 1930s la but mm. oh i see what you're saying ah yes yes like back where he gets his nose like his nose cut yeah, in that, like the, the movie that, that's some kind of reservoir i don't know if that's like an actual mm-hmm. i mean i guess it probably would be an actual location if it is i don't know what it is though so yeah but no that's cool like have, have when's i know this, this is random but when's the last time you guys have seen the first blade runner it's been a hot minute probably Same. probably since i saw this so you know three four last years year. yeah last 2017 year. for me so do they talk about any other place besides la or do they go outside of la at whatsoever no not that i can recall yeah, because I was thinking when you mentioned yeah. that San Diego bit, I'm like, I don't remember that being in the original. And of course, a lot of time has passed, and they say that in the, like the opening credits of like, it, you know, since ecological disaster, and you know, like there, like, there's, the there's been shit going on in the blackout yeah. and all that shit. Yeah. Um, and so I'm kind of like, oh, interesting. And like when they go to Las Vegas, like a dirty bomb, I'm like, is that like, yeah. uh, is that like an Easter egg from the first one that I forgot or something like that? But oh, the Las uh, Vegas scene. Oh my god. Can I tell you a quick thing about that Las Vegas scene? And it's kind of a downer. Yeah. yes it's a, kind of actually a big downer i remember seeing this and so this was october 2017 i remember we saw this movie i, I saw this movie with my mom and uh, i remember seeing it right after the las vegas shootings yeah mandalay bay yeah <sighs> and i remember everyone in the theater when like los An- like like a desolate you know depressing las vegas showed up everyone in the theater were like oh Mm. oh because we weren't expecting it and also it just for some reason felt and like they said dirty bomb like a terrorist attack or something yeah. like, and, and also there's kind of like okay oh wow and, and there's that bit that harrison that deckard says about how like what las vegas used to be you could mm-hmm. come l- win a little money lose a little money a little see money. a show forget your troubles, forget your troubles you know, have forget your fun troubles. yeah exactly yeah. Exactly. And then like this horrific tragedy happened literally like a week or two weeks Gosh, before. I didn't even put that together. Oh, I I remember that so vividly because I remember hearing every single asshole in the theater just tightening up, just like closing like a <laughs> like a like a crashing <laughs> factor. Just everyone right, going right. like, oh, that's right. Oh, and oh. we just not aren't expecting it. I I remember that so vividly. <clears throat> well, Las Vegas is doing okay. <laughs> oh boy yeah they don't yeah. They, they're not even afraid of the coronavirus they're just so they're doing so well it's like you know fuck a virus we're gonna gamble people people need their their craps tables i guess yeah, yeah, who doesn't they gotta gamble lay, gamble away i can't talk they need to gamble away their kids college funds so they <laughs> might as well do it there um so as long as talking about the vegas stuff 2049 i want to talk about um Anna de Armas' death. Wow, already. 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 (laughs) 40 minutes in. We're 50 minutes in. I don't know. Oh, I get that. We haven't even introduced her as a character. Okay, let's talk talk about it. Let's talk about it. How about this? Let's talk about Anna de Armas. 
Okay. Yeah, let's talk. Yeah, let's talk about. Yeah. Let's talk about the queen who is unfortunately yes. ma- uh, dating Ben Affleck. This is Ben Affleck, of course. Uh, you can do better on it. <sighs> yeah, you really could. I mean, no, I no shots at Ben, but come I on. I love girl. Ben Affleck, but I don't know. I, I feel like he deserves, has she deserves seen a one girl. <laughs> Dude's a mess. Yeah. I mean, I love him, but you need like a year. But like Anna, you don't need that. He's, you're just he's, he's you know, taking care of him. I, th- I think Ben is on on the. He's he's. He's coming back. He looks much better. He looks much better. Second comeback. He's. Yeah. I think. I I, I wish him well. It is his second comeback. It is his second comeback. It's it's really a remarkable career arc he's had. Okay. On and Looks like he has his shit. It's the way back. Okay. All right. Uh, To those listening to this in the future, the movie The Way Back, starring Ben Affleck, came out just before the (laughs) corona. That's right. Um, It's a quarantine release. Yes, it was. Quarantine release. Was it? I love Gavin O'Connor. Just before yeah, quarantine, around, or, around, around. I think it was. I think it was after like a week or two before right. the world yeah, shut down. Like, and it also like made a good chunk of change too. Before like people like it was like yeah, it was making money. Well, Ben's a draw. Um, He's a box office. But no, I, I think she's terrific in this. Like, um, I think she just did War Dogs previously. Um, maybe that's what started to rev her up. But um, I think this is like one third of third build in this. She's mm. build over third Jared build. Leto. Yeah, that's um, crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. But um, I think it was War Dogs and then Hands of Stone, that which is a movie that doesn't exist. But it was those two that kind of her name got to Warner Brothers, and then yeah. Um, yeah, I think that she's just astounding in this. It's almost like she has a face of a silent movie star to me. Hmm. Um, and how yeah. expressive and empathetic. Yeah, she can be with just the presence. Um, right. So. And now she's gonna be Marilyn Monroe, so. Yeah, man, I'm excited for that. Yeah. Yeah, and Knives Out's amazing. That's you know, yeah. we should throw that out there. Yeah. Um, she's so good in that movie. Yeah. yeah. So th- this, and she also like plays up in, in that movie as well. Like plays up the just uh, the doe-eyed. You just wanna, you just love her immediately, you know. Yeah. And she's very, very not only empath, she's very sympathetic in, in both these movies and in that one and this one. And, um, but I th- I think her character is kind of like. Really, what I was getting at earlier. Wait, about she's in no time to die. Wait, I just remembered. She's in no time to die. She's a new Bond girl. Yeah, yeah which as of this recording, should have been out two months ago, but won't be yeah. out for another six but months. For um, or or maybe later we'll see. Indefinitely. Um, yes. Uh, but the the Joy character. Um, I said that uh, the arc of the first movie was learning to feel empathy for replicants, and they kind of use that as a starting point for this movie. But what I think this movie does is like it it pushes it pushes on like our our limits of feeling empathy, you know, like what we're able to emotionally connect with. Like I, I know about you guys, but I emotionally connect with Under Arms' character in this movie, and she's a fucking hologram. And like mm-hmm. I I I feel something when she dies, you know, quote unquote dies. Like that's that's not nothing. Like it. And part of it is just, you know, because she just looks at you with those eyes and you can emotionally connect just from her look. But also, like, she also expresses desires and and fears. And, like, you know, when her first scene, Kay gives her the emanator that lets her be untethered from her little arm thing up top so she can go anywhere. And her, her very first thought is, I want to go to the roof. I want to be outside. You know, I want to explore like that's that's a, a feeling a, a desire and she says i i want to be real for you and like yeah there's some there's some 
things that we can unpack about the commodification of female companionship and like selling that like the whole concept of of joy as like a commodity and we can unpack that too but like she really does seem to care about Kay. you know it it doesn't just seem like she's programmed that she's way not it, Siri. It, right it, it doesn't feel like she's siri it doesn't feel like he I like just activated siri <laughs> oh it, boy like in, in critics of this movie you know i take this point like they kind of think that she's like a sex doll basically and like you know Kay bought her for again commodification of female companionship i understand that criticism but like i think the movie really does make her an emotional entity and like we empathize with her for that reason and that's why we feel her death like she's when when Kay's car crashes on his way to the orphanage when the like scavengers shoot his car down you know she's like outside his car trying to wake him up because she's she fears for his life and she is like she cries when Kay learns that he's the kid when he finds the horse thing. Like she, she is excited for him and like knows how mm. important. Like I don't know. Like and and again, I like I kind of bared lead with her death already. But like you know, we empathize with a hologram. You know, this movie makes us empathize with a hologram. The first what movie was the made name of uh, Daryl Hannah's Pris Blade Runner. Was it Pris? Was she? Was she? Yes, a, it's was she a sex worker? No, because they were. All, I think all four of them were. Um, or was that the other? I think. I think. I don't, I don't Zora, think any. Zora. Zora might have. I can't remember. It's been a while. But so, Zora's the other. It's Leon, so I, Zora, Pris, and Roy. Yeah. yeah I thought all great, four of them were on a, a great mining, question. On a, we're doing a mining. Whatever it doesn't matter. Mining. Yeah. Okay. So I think it's either Zora or Pris, the one that mm-hmm. um, was in that rain jacket and then was shot through that glass. That was Zora who was shot like that. Yeah. Yeah, maybe Zora is like the first edition, the iPhone 3GS, <laughs> and then uh, Joy is like the next stage, the the evolution of this kind of model, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like, yeah, sure, they are meant to give you pleasure and meant there, to. There, uh, are, there, there is a reference to pleasure models, quote unquote, yeah. in this movie. By the way, go ahead though. Uh, yeah, so they're they're meant to give you pleasures and companionship and uh, and fulfill your your needs in in your houses. But then uh, that that model that Zora once was is now out of date, and so now it's it's like filling the same the same thing. So it's yeah, there's there's I, similarities, but also update updates. Can I tell you what Denny V says about all this? <laughs> Do you um, know? Him? No, but, you know, Denny V is just, it's too cool of an opportunity to pass up. Um, so he says, basically, again, I was doing, you know, I was doing a little light Wikipedia-ing um, and going through, like, the reception reception tab. And, like, you know, uh, Josh has already mentioned this, but one of the biggest critiques of this movie is its depiction of female characters. Now, there have yes. been a few points on either side, uh, one point. Some of the deaths, like the like Neo, uh, have been were pretty gnarly with the female characters, um, whether it be Robin White, Wright, Love, um, and the newborn and, replicant. Yes, that one. That's is, that's the most brutal one. That one I, is a bit. Whew. Um, but I would argue, also, I would argue there's a point to that. Per, that you know, there you go. Yeah, but the, the counter argument is that 
well, that's what the movie is about. It's movie uh, is a movie about oppression, and it's a movie about how uh, like modern society uses people and how it's basically it uses people as commodity, and how the first one also it's a mirror. That's what um, De- Denis says that the point of Blade Runner is not it's a depiction of the future; it is a mirror to our society now, and that's what he thinks is the first one was. Like the first one is also not very kind to female characters, especially Rachel, who especially is kind Rachel. of yeah. is who's there's a lot of debate on this, but she is basically sexually assaulted midway through by Deckard, and there's been a lot of contention with that point and what, no, that's, what that's that what has it is. to say about the movie. But that's that is true. It, is, yeah. it just depends how you take it. Um, in the sense of how you receive, is that on purpose, or is that like, or is that just you know, a, is that really a feature or a bug? A feature or a bug. There yeah. you go. Yeah. There you go. Um, and so there was, there's been plenty of article, articles on both sides by women, like where, no, this is actually saying like, you know, it's a feminist theory of like, like whether Mackenzie Davis's character, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of like, basically a lot of the pros- replicant prostitutes and how women are used as objects rather than actual people Flesh and my whole Anya de Armas thing. So it's either that it's a, like you said, Josh, it's a bug or a feature. And Denise's whole thing is. Um, I don't know, you know, he talks about, like, this is a mirror to our society, and he's like, I don't know if you're, you're seeing what's happening right now, but women aren't treated well right now. That I'm just trying to tell, I'm just showing you what I see, is that, you know, like, they're treated horribly, you know, and they basically are used as objects, they're used at, they're, they're under the foot of actual society, and um, they're uh, discarded, and only viewed as objects of sexuality, and I and the reason why I tend to believe him is because I don't think this movie in its camera movements over like there's not this like panning shot of Mackenzie Davis's legs in like a close up on of her butt or whatever. It doesn't like Denis is not a sexual filmmaker. He's and he's I don't know if he's ever done anything sexy in his life. But like he he it, it so it doesn't feel objectifying. It feels more cold. So that's my take, but I yeah. understand there's just a lot of things it's like is it really like is it meta enough to understand what it's doing or is it just are these just dumb men not knowing well, how to write women it's here's just one of, it's just got to subscribe to one of those while you think about that chew on this um who who saves k from las vegas after he's left for dead by love Mackenzie Davis's character comes back. Mackenzie Davis, a sex worker who met early, who he met earlier, a replicant sex worker. She shout she out to pla- Mackenzie Davis, by the way. Shout out to her for sure. She planted a tracking device in his coat, so she finds him in Vegas and takes him to this what this underground group of replicant revolutionaries who are who know about the birth of a replicant child and who are you know prepared to break down that wall that separates humanity and replicants. It was kind of like what was alluded to in the first. Right, the revolution. Right, yeah. And who? So Kay's like again. He's he's recovered. He's beaten. He still believes he's the kid. And then he learns that he's not the kid. But like, who is among this group of revolutionaries? It's all women, as I recall. They're definitely led by a woman, Fraser. She's got one eye. Marsha from Succession. Oh my God, that's Marsha! Holy crap! I didn't know. Right? Yeah, I go. I I, I am debated. Like, oh yeah, that is Marsha. Well, shit. Well, regardless, (laughs) my point is like. My point is he's he's taken in by a group of female replicant revolutionaries. Like I don't think that's an accident. You know, I, I think that the subtext of this is, 
you know, if it's a movie about oppression and a, a being that suddenly realizes they can give birth and they don't need their oppressor, like it's it, it, it's hard to not see, you know, female liberation in this. And the fact that the revolutionaries are all women uh, kind of underscores that in my mind a bit. And the fact that the Jesus figure of the Republican Revolution, the child born is not Kay, a man, it's a, a woman, Dr. Anna, who's in a little bubble. Like mm-hmm. ev- everything about it is 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 female. And, um, you know, does that excuse, you know, graphic deaths of women that you know your mileage may vary uh i i would i'm kind of i tend to agree with denis that there's a there's a point to it um i mean that that when neander wallace slices that replicant woman that's that's hard to watch and but i mean still like i i don't know that's that's and there's there's a lot to unpack denis villeneuve isn't isn't someone that likes to cut around violence either i I don't think he's a violent filmmaker but he doesn't he doesn't like to hide anything. Um, prisoners is fucking prisoners. Brutal. Sicario, what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's um, like actual torture depicted in in prisoners. Yeah. That's, that's that's a tough beat for Paul Dano. Yeah. Tough beat for. <laughs> yeah, um, tough beat. Clay, you mentioned the a lot of the writing, a lot of the discourse, if you will, was about you know the represent the depiction of gender and stuff. And I want to shout out uh, Brian Formo. He wrote in collider i want to say if you can find it but he had really interesting things to say i mean seek out female writers too obviously i don't want to point to the one a, a guy writing about gender well i i can plug i can plug a piece that i think yeah. uh, was really interesting uh helen lewis of the new statesman suggested that the film is an uneasy feminist parable about controlling the means of reproduction yep, that it's a villain go. neander wallace is consumed by rage and that women can do something he cannot so yep. there's stuff like that but also you can definitely read points of where oh wait it's sexist or not because i it's one of these things where it's at a point when we talk about these kind of things is where like i will i will either agree or disagree but i always will understand like yeah i get it like if you see it like that that's just that that's that, I, there's just no right answer to this stuff especially when it's a uh, emotionally distant filmmaker like denis right. who tends to just kind of be like no, like, you know, like, I'm not going to give you, like, an uh, actual answer to this. Um, and one of the main criticisms, besides the whole f- female characterization, is the there was more potential for Anya de Armas. And that they're saying that the character could have been fleshed out and focused on a little more. Which, again, you that's a completely valid criticism. I wouldn't mind having more of her. I think she's great. I think she is the embodiment of empathetic beauty. Um, mm. and I think just like God was like, I want to create a being uh, that is pure empathy and pure. <laughs> and like, I think you, like the, the scenes that her and Gosling have together are so good. Like they just have so good. very instantaneous chemistry. Well, she, she's also uh, great. She, she, she's a great plot device too, just because like she gives the audience a, an insight into Kay's thought process. This yeah. is a detective movie, like at its core, it's a de- like yeah. beat by beat, it's a detective story, and like I mean, we forget geez. that how influenced the the original is by noir and, and classic. Well, pulp stars. I, I think I think that from a plot standpoint, both movies, the original and twenty forty nine, are detective movies that take place in a science fiction world. Like mm-hmm. they're they're mm-hmm. a meld of the genres, but like from a isolate the world and just focus on like the literal plot, and they're both pretty straight detective stories. That just happened to have sci-fi. Yeah, there's like o- them. over 
over convoluted twists and plot yeah. points of like, yes. oh, there was a secret plan that everyone did and you had to yeah. uncover that. Yeah, it's all your it's, best it's friend is really behind all of it. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a classic bowler. Uh, yeah. Oh, what's the, what's the bowler boiler room detective novel? Yeah, and so <laughs> so I'm thinking about like the scene where Kay had gone to the tree and seen the date on the tree. And then he's like going through the DNA of all like the orphans who were born or whatever, blah, 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 blah. And she like appears and like has a conversation with him about why that date is meaningful and what information he withheld from uh, Robin Wright's character. And like, again, it's just like him you know, going just, through his thought process for the investigation. Um, about Robin Wright's character, in a lot of those noirs, you'll find, you'll have that archetype. Where yeah, it's like yeah. the police the chief. Boss, yeah. Yeah. God damn it, get me results. Yeah. Arlie yeah. Ermian 7, right. Let's talk about oh, Ryan yeah. Gosling. Uh, hold on. We can talk about Gosling in a second. I want to say one last thing about Ana de Armas. Right. Um, There's a lot of one more things about Ana de Armas, well, by the way. No. Um, <laughs> what I was going to say is, yes, I, I can see the criticism that she could have been fleshed out more. However, um, probably the most devastating moment of the movie is, and one of the most iconic images is... Kay walking away from his conversation with the replicant revolutionaries and he sees the giant advertisement for yeah. joy in purple and he's you're staring a good joe at, you're a good joe exactly in that well in that moment he you know just realized he just learned that he's not the born replicant child that he thought he was so he realized he's not special mm-hmm. he's not real quote unquote like he thought he was he's not and, the one right and so when he just learned that he's not real quote unquote, he's confronted with this advertisement for joy, which undercuts his one real emotional relationship he had in his life. So nothing that he thought was real was real, not his existence, his birth or his one love. You know, she's just I also it's a commodity. And and but I would I would argue that joy on Darms's character is more than just that advertisement you see. Like there is more to her than just a commodity. She really did feel for him. She really did have emotions. And but you know that. Yeah, go ahead, Clay. Sorry. Even though that's just a commercial. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I I like. I, I agree with all of that. But I do like that the idea of well, one, he just learns that he's not special, and then the one thing you know, Joy, one special thing that uh, Joy wanted to give him was a name, and that mm-hmm. thing was already. It wasn't even like special because she like you. It like when she says you're just a good Joe, it feels like. Oh, she didn't even really think of a name. It was yeah. already in her programming. Yeah. And so it kind of makes you question, oh, like how much of her actual emotions for him was real or programming? Because, yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing. It gives you a little bit like there's a little space where you can question everything that happened before then. Um, and she also delivers that line so weird. You're such a good Joe. And like she so, like she holds on that and you're just like, oh, no, that's yeah. that's horrible. You can Real tell like, there were choices being made. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean that's what I love about Villeneuve's movies is every second you can see choices being made. That's why he's one of my favorite directors, but real quick about the naming thing. You mentioned that, uh, she says she undercuts the name thing there as well, but, um, I can't remember if it's in the movie. It's definitely in the script though. Do we ever learn why love is called love in the movie? No, but she spells it with a U, which I've always found weird. She does. Neander this, Wallace has a power problem. Well, that's the thing is I can't remember uh-huh. if it like they actually if they actually underscore this in the movie, but on the page if you read it, it actually does like underline this for you. It when you know we meet her as love, and um, Kay says when he meets her, he says you must be special if he named you, you know, and they 
they underline the the hang a lantern from the fact that she has a name, therefore she's special. Mm-hmm. And then, like a scene or two later, she goes to like Neander Wallace's chambers or whatever, and we see him for the first time. And again, it's explicit in this script. I can't remember if it's explicit in the movie, but he calls everyone love. That's just like his pet name for everyone he Weird. interacts with. So like, she's not actually named. She's not actually special. She just like takes the fact that he calls her love and like holds on to that as if that means he's naming her, but he's not actually naming her. Well, he like, says after he leaves the the dead replicant that just born, I still don't understand why he just killed it. Was it just because like he could just it was, tell? Because it was barren. Because it was barren. And he could just tell? I, I guess. I mean, maybe that's what like those eye, like those little eye uh, things. Oh, yeah, we probably scanned. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but like. So he does that. He just leaves with the body on the floor, and he's like, he's talking about angels and how each little, each like each replicant's an angel, and like he leaves, and like this disembodied voice says, "Aren't well, love, you're the best one of all, aren't you?" And it just leaves of her like almost like crying, and it's just like she's definitely oh. crying. Yeah. And but like you're the best one of all, and Jared Leto is such a interesting, it's smart choice because he's just <laughs> such a creepy man. He's the yeah. right man for the job, I think. He's such a creepy, creepy man. Mm. Um, I love I would, that they I, had no other choice for uh, for Gosling, though. I, the screenwriters um, had him almost, in Ridley Scott almost had him immediately in mind. They, there was no other options. That's I, I can't really think of any other uh I could see Joe Hall doing it. Joe Hall would probably Jill be the only one. I could no, see it. I, I mean, mean, his prisoner's character behind the scenes was talking about that he was the only person that came to mind i mean i'm sure jay john hall did cross his mind at one point but mm-hmm. it was just like well we were going between this guy and another guy but yeah. well i mean like i said Very earlier like he, he he like his early movies i'm thinking about like uh, half nelson and mm-hmm. uh lars and the real girl and mm-hmm. you know a little bit later in his career obviously his work with nicholas winding reffin with drive and all that he does play like uh um the United States of Leland was an early work of his. Like he does play like emotionally insular characters really well. And like Mumblecore, that was like what he did in early he does on. rage, bottled rage. That's the he thing though. The is, best, he's the most emotionally distant actor in modern Hollywood. I, I would probably agree with that. Yeah. I mean, he, he yeah, gets, he, he gets a lot of mileage with his pretty face, I guess is what I'll say. And not, not to say he, not to say he can't emote. I, I think he's wonderful in La La Land. He's he's great in in movies where he does play bigger characters, but he also plays emotionally insular characters well, and that is perfect for this role. Until uh, I think Jack, you just said he bursts with rage, like his, you know, his flatline emotional insularness all builds to the one moment where he set, screams, "God damn it!" at Doctor Anna. Shit. Yeah, and that's so, so fucking good. cool. Yeah, I mean, it's and but if you notice, he screams. God damn it, louder than you've ever heard anyone scream, God damn it. He gets up and then he doesn't slam the door. He closes the door like gently. Yeah. Like camera's on Dr. Anna, but you can still see the reflection in the glass and he like very mm. calmly closes the door behind him. It's, it's almost so like very, like it's, it's almost fun. like he, slamming doors is against his rules. Like he can only be like he's wired to be polite. His his rules are literally keep your emotions in check. That's again what those baseline tests are for. To, you know, mm. it's trying to get a rise out of you, and you have to not rise, otherwise you will be retired. And so, like, it's it's interesting that like in the moment where he learns that he's real, quote unquote, not actually, that's the one moment he allows himself to actually react 
emotionally and the whole thing and there's a build-up to it too he doesn't just say god damn it immediately like you could see like he's like kind of shaking like looking down and he's just and he's like mumbling to himself and he's like i think he's so good in this he's really good in this he's really good Um, i find it very impressive that he goes in 2016 right Hmm? he'll go at la land but before that this was a great uh, one nice guys and those dude, are so different from love nice guys, dude. He's yeah. so good oh, at yeah. nice guys, so too. So He's yeah. so funny. And then Bring, back the buddy cop. Bring back the buddy cop movie. <laughs> and then jump a year. You got 2049 and Song to Song. Regardless mm. of what you think of later period Malik, very, very different. Like, yes. I think four projects in two years, and it, it, those roles do not feel homogenous. It's it's very He's good. Right. Yeah. Yes. Maybe those first man. And then you're in the decades. First Man is emotionally insular again. Yeah, that's what I was yeah. gonna. I was gonna say that's my whole take. That's why I love First Man. Is like a lot of people say like I like, a lot the the main problem I hear about First Man that people have is it's so emotionally cold that I can't get into it. And I and I get that. That I think that's the movie. The movie is about how this like horribly like like this completely like boring, stale, stern, emotionally closed off man is trying to achieve greatness. And because see, that's the only way he knows how to process grief. And mm. the moment he shows that is when he is completely alone in a in, from a planet away. He yeah. is on the moon. I mean, I can go talk about First Man all day, but I think that's why that movie works for me is because well, it's about someone like who's man. just we're gonna do it who can't handle actual emotion. So he has to find he some way. It. Yeah, and he achieves one of the greatest things man has ever done. And the only time he can ever show emotion is when he is on the fucking moon. Well, and that's here's why, my that's why, like, to that. Um, I think I kind of prefer La La Land because he sings and dances. Oh, that's wrong. Um, that's just that's I like it when he sings and dances. I think that's also kind of not to get on a first man tangent, but I think that's also why Claire Foy's character like works pretty well in that movie because she like on paper she is just like the stereotypical nagging wife who's trying to pull her husband away from the adventure that's going to go on. Yeah, oh, that's a great line. But a bunch like, of boys. I mean, like the the Skylar White problem is what a lot of people call it. Mm. Is you know Skylar White, the audience hates her because she doesn't want Brian Cranston Walter doing the things that we like watching Brian Cranston do. And the reason is she's fucking sensible. She doesn't want him creating a meth empire because that's dangerous. She wants him at home taking care of the family and that that's exactly what she should feel but like we like seeing the adventure we like seeing the meth lab so we don't like her but so like, on paper reason. right and on paper claire foy is that nagging stereotype character but she's the contrast to his emotional distance she is emotional and he is not and she's trying to and pull him back to she's earth frustrated yes exactly you and, get and like she's, like, and she's so you, good you in gotta that too. fucking talk to me our daughter yeah. died please yes. say something you miserable human being yes Sorry, you're gonna that's, that's, kill this family yeah no i, I love that movie that's the end of first man <laughs> corner this has been first man corner in <laughs> exit the 2010s but is that like, our hark i oh man i i i but sorry <laughs> i think that's why gosling is so good because he is perfectly at bottling all of those emotions but yes. also giving you he's just great he has i mean this this whole he's movie gonna win an Oscar at like eighty. Amazing, you know what I'm yeah. Saying? He'll, he'll win before eighty. Who wins first, Jake Gyllenhaal, or Jake Gyllenhaal or Ryan Gosling? Who wins Gyllenhaal. the Oscar for Gyllenhaal? Jake Gyllenhaal, yeah. Yeah. Because you think, think the Nightcrawler's 
stop was so big that they just kind of like, yeah, we're fucking right. Well, yeah, not only that, but also... I think I mean, he's more successful to... Sorry, he's going to take a role that'll, that they're going to like latch on to sooner than... This is just my gut talking, but... And he's less he's, picky than Ryan. They're both picky, but yeah, no. he's less picky. Jake Gyllenhaal is much more, much less picky. He's done like fucking life, the the movie with Ryan Reynolds, that space movie, and then he did like Okay, is Spider-Man that Life coming. Slander? Well, I don't know. Have you seen Life? <laughs> I I think that I think that Gyllenhaal's been around for longer, so that kind of is a notch in his favor to win an Oscar before Gosling. Oh, but that's Gosling, a good point. But Gosling also. To your point, he works more prestige projects. I don't want to mean I don't want to say that means he's less picky than Joan Hall, but Joan Hall I think is more willing to take risks. And not that Gosling doesn't take risks. I mean Nicholas Winding Refn's risks, but I think that I mean just the fact that he was in First Man, he was in La La Land, he was in you know Oscar-y movies. That's not a criticism of Gosling at all, but I feel I feel like he's positioning himself by being in the movies that are more likely to win Oscars than Joan Hall is. Mm-hmm. At least at this point. I also in their think. I also think Gosling can't, kiss, you know, like shake the hands and kiss the babies. I think like uh, Gyllenhaal does that, but like Gyllenhaal will like is loves. Gyllenhaal oh, is, like, and now he comes fun. from a Hollywood family. I think that's also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gyllenhaal. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, but like Gosling, like you won't, you'll never see Gosling in a like a, a Mulaney sketch. Like you know what I mean? Like you won't see like you know Gyllenhaal just you know going having these fun interviews, joking around with Tom Holland or whatever. Gyllenhaal is very much not that. He's not very media friendly, so I doubt like he'll he he he's the he had guy fun who with could Brad campaign. Pitt and Russell Crowe though. He's the only people apparently. Wh- which one's not media friendly? You think Gosling? He's not. He's not media friendly. I will I say, think. though, uh, I think probably my favorite SNL bit of the last five years was actually when he hosted SNL to promote this movie uh, when he did the papyrus sketch. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. If you haven't yeah, seen it, you listen to this, poster. please go to YouTube and Google SNL papyrus or Ryan Gosling papyrus. You will not regret it. It's it's amazing. But he doesn't yeah. seem Absolutely. like I love him, but he doesn't seem like a fun guy to be around. Like just hanging I, out. He seems I mean, very serious. We're, we're going off reputation, so like none of us know what we're talking about. I disagree. I think he seems like a very fun guy. Really? Yeah. I, I, okay. Right. I mean, watch watch La. I'm, you know, their roles obviously, but like La La Land, the nice guys, and like also like watch interviews. Like I think he seems fun in interviews. Like he's having fun. Mm-hmm. No. Again, I, I, none I, of us know what we're I, talking I, about. I think he just likes to push himself. He likes to be challenged. And and that's where him and Jake Gyllenhaal intercept, in how um, even though they might take roles like life, um, they they remind us how great they are in the Zodiacs and the Brokeback Mountains and the um, in prisoners. prisoners of the world. Yeah, it's okay. So let me let me put a little button on this. I think Gyllenhaal makes compromises. I don't think Gosling does. I think we should put this to a Twitter poll. Oh, God. Just who, who's going to win an Oscar sure. first? Is that yeah. the, that's the yeah. question? I mean, we're yeah. talking about a lot of confounding factors here that have absolutely nothing to do with whether or not you're going to win an Oscar, by the way. We're, oh, probably not. This, this is we don't do another thing. But I will say that um, men, uh, the, the best actor award, best actress usually goes to a younger woman. They like to award an ingenue. They like to crown the, the new Jennifer Lawrence, for example, Emma Stone, for example. Yeah. Um, Brie Larson. Brie Larson, for example, great point. But uh, she was supporting, but that's category. Yeah, right, right, right. But um, best actor is usually a more aged, seasoned person. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm DL, to... Gary Oldman, Leo DiCaprio, um, Chris Plummer. Uh, Chris, he was also supporting though. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Rami Malik and who won last year? He's exception. Rami Malik's exception. And then Joaquin, last year. Uh, uh, Joaquin lives Joaquin. a le- legacy. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a, yeah, it's a lot of or, legacy, yeah. like Al Pacino, son of a woman. They're, they're, so yeah, I get, you're I more likely you're more likely to see a career achievement award in Best Actor than you are in Best Actress. Best Actress, you're more likely to some, see someone who's bursting onto the scene, just in the last few years at least. Good point. It's Josh. a trend. It's a trend. It's a great point. This will not be an episode with Oscar, you without Oscar talk. Oscar expert. Uh, <laughs> um, all right. This, what else? Do, so wait, were we Oscar? talking about? What's going on? Did this get enough? No. No, I, did, I don't. Did I didn't any. expect it to. It, this, oh yeah, it, all of the oh, technical it awards. It was, yeah, okay. Same and it won, it, won it won visual effects. The, oh, yeah. okay. We need to talk about the threesome scene. Ooh, yes. We talked about Joy. We talked about Mackenzie Davis briefly. We talked yeah. about the politics, uh, the gender politics. So, where are we on the threesome scene? I love it. I, I think it's. I think it's very tasteful. Yeah, it's. Um, it's not. They don't even really show much. It's just like. It's just like. It's kind of like tense and very yeah, much. Yeah, it's like really. T- it's tender. I, I found it tender. It felt Did like you... um, the. I mean, you know, if I'm remembering right, I think Luke Larson brought it up in our her episode. Yeah. Well, it's very much the. It's very much the <laughs> it, comparison. So, yeah, it's a. It's a. It's an easy comparison, but um, it's an apt one where it's the similar idea of. The AI brings a surrogate in and without the other one knowing. So, um, Clay, to your point earlier, you mentioned that this movie's not very shot. uh, It's not very. It doesn't really sexualize. It's not romantic very much. And like it, it, this scene doesn't feel particularly male gazy. Like, I mean, I think it's inherently male gaze because there are like male filmmakers and a male cameraman and all that and male writers and everything. But like. It could have been a lot worse, I guess, in terms of like the you know yeah, it's, objectifying it's, view. Like like you guys said, you don't really see much. Um, it does strike me as is fairly tasteful, and like I think the focus is on the um the technological aspect rather than like the sexualization. Like yeah, I do think it feels it's more logistics than it does like actual. Like it's just like how is it's, this it's, happening? It's like, not. Like, it's not the, um the feet of it. It's not supposed to be like a. Arou- it doesn't strike you as arousing in any yeah. in any way. It's more like I don't think Denis knows how to. He's <laughs> sure. very much an ace. No, like not. like he's like Nolan. He doesn't know how to be sexy. I think so, in that. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry. Here you go. Oh, I was just gonna say I agree that it's tender. I think that's another like another notch in the column that Anna de Armas' character does like feel emotions for Kay. I think the fact that she like set this up, um, and like you know I want to be real for you, and he says you are real for me, and blah blah blah. Like that's that's sweet to me, and also like just visually speaking, this might be like one of the most visually stunning things I've ever seen. Like yeah. when you can you can like there's a long long hold on her face, and like you can see both Anna de Armas and Mackenzie Davis. Like depending on which one you want to see, you can see both, and like I, I can't tell if like the image is changing or if just like that's my crazy. eyesight is just like oscillating between the two because I see both. Like I see her. Then I see Mackenzie Davis. Then I see Anna Darmus. Then I see Mackenzie Davis. And like it's it's crazy how how they were able to crazy. do that. And like the one shot from behind Gosling's head, and like Mackenzie Davis's arms are coming up behind his head, and uh, Anna Darmus's arms like like on a slight delay. Like so, there's like four arms caressing his head. It's so fucking cool. The and camera focuses just, on hands a lot. Like that's like yes. that's where like that's why I don't think it's like a sexual, which is tender, explicit. Yeah, but it's just it's just like it's a lot of hand, like whoa, man, look at these hands, like four hands. Oh, holy crap, who knew this? And it's like a yeah. grabbing of the head. Like it's not yeah. like 
you don't even you don't see anything. This is why I'm kind of surprised this is a rated R movie, even though there are f words well, and there is blood. Violence, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. guess, but like I feel like it's as much violence than like in Inception, but like without, but with more blood. I mean, yeah, I mean did I... we see how love killed Coco? Oh I'm God, that's that's brutal, man. Mm-hmm. That's brutal. okay. Never mind. You hate to see but, it. Yeah, but I feel like and it that's... could have been avoided. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a that's a brutal death. But I, for, I forgot. I didn't forget about it because I I can't forget about you it. You know that's... what I forgot about is how replicants are just given like human strength or beyond they're, human strength. They're they're slave. I mean, labor. they're machines. Yeah, like I mean, I, they're, built, like, they're built. They're so human like. They yeah. they look like people. So you're just you're like oh replicants what? are yeah, that's people, right. Jack. I'm Republican rights. Uh, yeah. Well, real quick, actually, let's let's unpack that for a second. The fact that, <laughs> sorry, uh, I, I should say that I'm working That's on a we're YouTube here video about. I'm working on a YouTube video about this movie, and so I'm I'm, sh- I'm sharing a lot of my thoughts that I've mm-hmm. been collecting for the last six months. I'm gonna eventually put this a video. Is a dress um, maybe it's, maybe it's out by the time you're listening to this. Who knows? Go to my YouTube channel. Um, but uh, so replicants look like humans. Why? I'm, I'm asking. We have to feel. We have oh, to feel comfortable uh, with them. Well, they are. They are. So you would think, what difference would it make if they looked like C3PO or C2? Yeah, C3PO. I, the, the robots and I robot. Like they are built for slave labor. Why do we need our slave labor to look human? You know, and it's it's. To, mm-hmm. I mean, the rhetorical answer I think is you know, and I mentioned Brian Formal's article article on Collider. He kind of touches on this. Like, we want to feel a connection to them i guess i don't really know i mean it, part of it they're not just serving as slave labor they're also serving as companionship you know and not just the female models but also the male models and like why give replicants gender why give your slave labor a gender expression that doesn't make any sense unless you are looking to build an emotional connection with it that's why there are female replicants that's why there are pleasure models yeah i was um, gonna say pleasure models are definitely like which is if, if there were yeah that there's kind of like an insidiousness in that, and that's where like the gender, po- gender politics comes comes into play. Like, you know, what is the purpose of giving your slave labor gender? Well, so you can fuck it, to be blunt. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you know, that's yeah, not a great look. But like, that's 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 what wait, it Robin, is. Robin Wright is like, hey, you know, what if I finish all of this? Like, sh- she's yeah, also like, and she and her, she has like, and she, it, it's funny. That I think the, the reason why I like her character actually is because she's hard to pin down. And yeah. I think her politics are interesting in the sense of, like, she wants to keep the peace, but she doesn't necessarily view replicants as, like, she's not this, like, horribly, like, prejudiced person against replicants. Like, she doesn't call him a skin job or whatever. Um, and it, like, but she doesn't still, but she still feels vaguely prejudiced. Like, she doesn't really think of them as equals, but she's more nice to them than others. And she's, she's more focused on, like, the actual, like, she kind of cares about Kay, but she's, like, the greater good. Like, I think there's all these things happening in we're her head. We're keeping the order. She, she says that we're, we're keeping the order. That's why we're here. So, like, she definitely sees the hierarchy. She's the one who mm-hmm. gives, you know, she's the one who says the wall. There's a wall that separates. Society is built on a wall that separates kind. She's the one who says that. But she also, she's, you know. Yeah, she's like, uh, you know, Kay has carried on his life and. He served a purpose. He served a good purpose. It seems like he's a good cop, but or a good uh, a good Joe, a, a good Joe. No, but um, what are they called? Blade Runners, right? They're, yeah. yeah, they're whole thing. Yep. yeah, of course. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. So, but then you get to that conversation in the beginning about a soul, right? And 
how his light, a, some kind of light was turned on by Dave Batista, who we should, we should also mention how he was, so how good. he told him that he's Great. incredible in this. Um, he mentioned that he's never seen a miracle. And mm-hmm. so um, I think that rung a bell inside of, inside of Kay for the first time. He kind of he kind of talks that with her when they're talking about when they first discover that the the bones were uh, a replicant who died in childbirth. He kind of talks out how like he feels differently retiring something that was born. Yeah. And he says to be born is to have a soul, I guess. So yeah, like he does feel differently about it. Like you've been I, getting I mentioned... on just right without one. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Without what a soul? Yeah. Um. I mean, that's kind of what I was saying earlier. How like for some reason a replicant being born and not created somehow just inherently feels different. There's just something different about it that maybe we can't really explain why that feels different, but it does. And again, the the conclusion I came to is that because if you're born, that means like all of your memories are lived by you. They're not implanted in you. So therefore like your emotional reactions and stuff is just based on your lived experience, not based on what someone programmed inside you. So therefore like, it makes your emotions more real. So it makes it easier to empathize with you. And again, like emotional connection, like that's what makes us human. So like, how are you any different from me, even though you are made theoretically of like metal and not bones. And See, how I, uh, Joe can't tell the difference between the real memories and implanted memories, I guess. Yeah. But they are real mem like they're just not his memories. That's the that's the that's the thing. They that's are right. his yeah. actual real memories. So that's why it's so convincing. Um, well, they, they aren't his to... memories. They're, they're Doctor Anna's memories. Yes, yes, but they're, the real. they're 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 real. Someone real. someone lived this, as she says. Very. Um, and yeah. so I wanted to, I wanted to say um, fuck, I just lost it. Oh, um, <laughs> it's not even necessarily like I don't even view it as like the emotional standpoint of why the why them birthing changes everything it's that that they can actually make each other like the thing is they require humans to exist if they if they are born if they can like make if they can make offspring then that means they do like that humans don't need to exist for them to exist you right. see what i'm saying yeah. like they don't like they can have their they can progress and they could evolve on their own without needing any human help and so that makes them their own masters so to speak right it's like the Um, ants and the grasshoppers in a bug's life which (laughs) is another story of oppression like i mean any story of oppression the oppressors don't you know the oppressed don't need the oppressor you know there you go bug's life who knew that was going to come up i i didn't i didn't know it was going to come i forgot came up in this um that's funny we just referenced the why before we started this but uh barksdale uh Barkai. Wood Harris. Wood Harris. Yeah, Wood I Harris. Love Wood I Harris. Forgot. Like, yeah. I love him yeah. as a character actor. He's in like Ant Man and Ant like and he's in like Dread. Like he's in a whole bunch of stuff that you just see him pop in and you're just like, he's fucking great. Wait, I'm sorry, who's Wood Harris? He's uh, a very he's... popular drug dealer in the wire. Just Oh, is it Barkat Abdi? No, 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 no. So the okay. actor in so in the very beginning, when they're looking over the bones of David Delsmachian, another good character uh, actor. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, Coco. The guy. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, you know, we're looking through this. He, he, we're looking through this. Um, uh, he. Oh, that's right. He's He suggests, uh, like, I, you know, what makes you think that he didn't kill, he didn't kill um, Rachel? Like, because they don't know that she's a replicant yet. And right. it, doesn't, it doesn't seem like the guy who would be sentimental to bury one. So he's yes. that guy. 
He's very good. skin job. Yeah, that's it. Yes. Yep. Yeah, skin job. That's that's a. It's weird how a movie can make you feel uncomfortable by saying by saying like a word that wasn't really. That's not a slur, but a non-existent a, slur. Yeah. Exactly. But it like every time I hear it and say it, I'm like, ooh, I don't like yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Skin Movies job. are effective, man. Um. I love how he lives in such a shitty place too, and everyone and like everyone looks at him and it's like the most like crime ridden place, and he's just like, dude, you know, he just doesn't care. He's just like so. Yeah, exactly, and he's just like he it, it's so yeah. I mean, there's a lot of pretty on the I don't want to say on the nose, but like pretty obvious connections to you know oppression in general, um, and I mean that's the same in the first one, um, and yeah, I mean that's like. There are a lot of philosophical conversations with this movie, but yeah. I gotta say, for something that's pretty philosophical, it's really just kind of like, it's not, there's not much dialogue in this movie. Mm. So, yes, it's philosophical, but also, like, I think it's just like a great detective story, personally. Like, I'm like, I've yeah. seen this movie six or eight times, and like, every time, like, I, even though I know where it's going, I still get, like, taken away by the story. Like, I get really en- engrossed by it, and like, the twists and turns, even though I know that they're all coming somehow, they still like surprise me somehow. I just think it's like, <laughs> I, I just think it's like a really good like stripping away everything else. I think it's a cool detective story. And like, that do you has, think it like, has cool something? It has something to do with its pace. Maybe. I mean, like, I, I think there are. You could maybe cut ten. Do minutes you enjoy from the this, pacing? Like, yeah, I think that like things happen with an. I mean, yes, I think the story moves fast enough that even though it is two hours 43 minutes long i think i don't think there's anything like that yes we talked about how villeneuve is unhurried at certain points to let a certain moment land but i think that like there's enough story there that fills out that runtime like i don't really feel the runtime as i'm watching it i think he has a similar dread throughout his filmography regardless of the runtime i think he likes to keep you on edge yeah because his characters are always looking for something. Yeah, I know I'm it's not... kind of vague, but <laughs> no, that's that's uh, important. Yeah, like ev- ev- um... every 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 plot point like leads logically to the next one. So like you're always like, I'm always along for the ride. There's never a part where I'm like, okay, let's get this part over with. Like I'm always yeah. like, okay, let's, let's get to the next thing. Okay, let's get to the next thing. You know? Yeah. Nothing feels like so. Yeah. Um. I was gonna say. Oh yeah. That's probably the biggest complaint of this movie is the runtime. Yeah. I, that's the yeah, it, it's the pacing is like it's too damn long, um, and I disagree. But because I'm, vi- I find this movie surprisingly, and I don't know if I really felt this exact way. Like, because this is my third time seeing it, I don't know if I felt this exact way with the other times I've seen it. But I find this movie very soothing. I'm yeah. very much just like I'm really relaxed watching it, and that's because it's very slow. I mean, I, I saw the, <laughs> I saw like two different people talk about like how if they talked faster that this movie would go so so much quicker and if they and if they didn't show ryan gosling just walking slowly everywhere this would be a much faster movie and those are you know those are fun little nitpicks or whatever but like i find it actually very soothing because one it's gorgeous gorgeous fucking movie and the mm-hmm. score is great great score um, yeah. i think hans, hans zimmer man he's just he's on another level um but like yeah I don't know. I just find it like it especially takes with me that. Away. Co- sorry, it's it's like especially with that competition of trying to match up to Vangelis. Yeah, that score is so. Very much so. I mean, iconic doesn't even begin to cover that, but it, no. it, I, I think you can also take that same that same 
uh, stature and to Jordan Carner with and uh, Roger Deakins in, in that how do you is something that has so many you know images that are some of the best in in all of cinema like how how do you even go about that but then you hire the best that we have now yeah. right so then I guess that's the same thing speaking of comparing 24 9 to the original um I think that even though this movie is 45 minutes longer, I think it's better paced. Like the original feels longer to me than this one does. Cause I think there are some pacing problems in the first one. Mm. Yeah. That's yeah. I have to rewatch the first one, but I think I still like the first one a bit better. And that's, and one of, I guess one of my main criticisms of this movie, like I don't mind the pace. I find it very soothing. It's interesting though, actually, like I, I take notes for pretty much every single movie we watch. Um, and, and a lot of times I take a lot of notes, too many. Um, but they're just like little bullet points. I did not take many notes for this. And that's just because I'm, I was just, I was so, it was so calming. And I just was so like, it's, it's engrossing. Taken aback, and I was so relaxed that I just was like, okay, yeah, yeah. nice. I mean, it feels like, it kind of feels like a warm blanket of a movie, even though it's kind of, it's like dark and bleak, but I don't know, yeah. I, I really like soothing. But my main criticism, I don't know if it's main, but like, a bigger criticism I have of this movie is the constant um, audio flashbacks in a sense of like the, like the narration, like repeating in his head of mm. things people have prior said, like, like you've never seen a miracle, yeah, but yeah, just yeah. like play like, and like it connect. It's just like, kind of like, do you think it felt I like think, a studio note? Yes. I'm with, I'm with Warner Brothers. 100% I'm, a studio I'm, note. I'm almost positive. That's gotta be from test screenings. It I would. I'd be, be. I'd be willing to bet they got feedback from test audiences that they needed and that. I think that's for, the like, same thing purpose. that Herpin. I think that oh, I just really butchered Herpin. No, I think that's a. I think that's the same thing that happened with the first one with Scott. I think there was like those kind of like you, you mean know Ridley? like the narration. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, Tony Scott who made another Blade Runner. Movie. <laughs> no, 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 Ridley Scott. Uh, the oh, first now one. Oh, I want Tony Scott's Blade Runner. I Sorry. Don't. Sorry. Um. I think that was like the narration and like feeding the audience of like you got to tell them what's going on, Ridley. They're so fucking lost, man. Um, I <laughs> think that's Deckard in Tony Scott's. Oh later. god, all right, Sorry. Okay, we're gonna put so... you in a corner. Um, but yeah, no, like I—that's the part where I'm kind of like that. If like there's a sure. cut, honestly, that cuts that. I'm like the move, like the movie then is just like perfect. I'll I'll put this right. into Premiere Pro and cut that little thirty seconds out for you. Then send you a I, send you an MP4. I appreciate it. I appreciate it because it's, I think like it's Ryan now is two so hours good. and forty two minutes long. <laughs> I think Ryan is so good at emoting and just like basically communicating just via face that I just don't like like you don't need it like we get it that we also understand. I feel like it's pretty easy to get that. Oh, she was even if you don't get it like of that. Sorry, I'm talking ahead of myself, but. If you don't understand that the memory person is the daughter, then then the reveal of like of him like dropping off uh, Deckard is even better. It's like, oh, that's mm -hmm. right. But you could probably gain like you could probably understand it if like you sit you if you just don't tell like if you don't have that flashback of like oh it's a real memory and all that. It's just kind of like it's a very much a studio note sure. thing, and that's my main Chris. Well, I want to I want to I want to wrap up soon if possible. But as long as we're talking about criticisms, um, I, this isn't like my main criticism of the movie. It's just something that I think is worth noting. Both movies are about oppression and both movies had a pretty glaring blind spot about race. Mm. That just needs to be said, I think. And it's I think it's not great that like the most uh, the most overt slavery imagery in 2049 is the kids, at the factory and the orphanage. 
and like the slave owner, quote unquote, is like one of the three black people in the movie. That's not Lenny awesome. James. Really yeah. good though. He's really great. He's great character actor. He's great. Yeah, yeah that's theater great. actor. Yeah, that's just that's just a a that's tough optics. I think for especially for a movie that's about oppression thematically. Well, the you know? first well the first one has very infamous like the in the, if you in the actual theatrical cut, um, in the in the like in the narration in the beginning that Harrison Ford does, he compares skin the term skin jobs to the n-word but Mm. he does not say (laughs) n-words he actually says like the full world the full word and it just moves right right past and and i i remember like i haven't seen it but i remember hearing that i'm like oh boy again i've i've never seen the version of narration but that's that's again that's that's rough that's rough oh boy ridley i'm with you i i do i do like this better than the original wow Um, interesting where where do we uh, welcome to the right side (laughs) <laughs> where do Fuck we you, put Josh. this in the pan- right? Where do we put this in the uh, pantheon of great sequels? Mm. Uh, it's up there for me personally because I mean, like, uh, we've already talked about that. Like, we've already talked about like neither one is a box office success, so like this is all you know more reputation than anything else. But like, it was following up a classic among film circles and a very beloved movie, so like it had big shoes to fill. I, I mean, the fact that it's following up a classic 30 years later and, like, surpassed it, that's that's yeah. insane to me. And, insane. and I, I, I can't, I mean, Mad Max Fury Road did it, That's I what guess. I was going to say. That's the that's the um, one that would beat, like, there's, the, you, the got, the, you got your Dark Knights, you got your Godfather yeah. 2, you got your, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Empire Strikes Back. But, like, modern sequels also, that you. Sorry, you also are coming off of so many things that are failing at this. You actually have a great video on Jurassic World. Which is the prime example that I right. think of, and, and you're wearing a Jurassic Park T-shirt, so it's like, I, I um, <laughs> JP. So yeah, I, 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 mean, I have. I, to your point, yeah, Jurassic World isn't as good as Jurassic Park, despite being a decades later sequel. I have softened a bit on Jurassic World. I think I was a little too mean to it in my video. I do think that the filmmakers kind of knew what they were doing. They were kind of like, uh, okay, that's fine. I think that Jurassic World is a fine movie. It's just like it's it's not trying for the same things that Jurassic Park is trying for despite kind of trying for it but it's like it's more of a big budget spectacle than like a science fiction movie about what the limits of what scientists should you know power. it's a great background yeah. movie yes and so but if you're like folding that's laundry also, it's a great folding laundry movie just like so, if you're not even focusing I agree. on it I agree. I and think it's like, a good white noise movie. I think it's a good like nails on a chalkboard movie too. But, I agree. Like the the fact that it's like a big spectacle movie instead of like a you know what is the limits of science movie like that's the subtext, but it's also the text. Like it's a mm-hmm. you know the, right. the Jurassic World the theme park is like a bigger 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 attention grabby thing than the original Jurassic Park was supposed to be. So like, again, maybe I was There's a little too hard. There's not much to dig at. Right. I just don't yeah. think it's 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 not nearly as good of a movie. Or at least by my taste, Jurassic Park is an all-timer, and Jurassic yeah. World's like, eh, a folding laundry movie, like you said. So back to the conversation <laughs> about sequels. I mean, I, I, you know, this is up there for me for best sequels. I would have to make a list, but it's definitely like it's top ten. Another Twitter I mean, poll. Uh, <laughs> oh god. Um. Yeah, I think yeah, it's it's great. I, I before we start like wrapping up and go to favorite scene, we gotta talk about love, man. She's fucking so good. Dope in this. Let me find um Sylvia Hoax. 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 I think it's just Hoax, isn't it? Hoax. She's the she's the one that I didn't like. Hasn't really popped up. Um, 
I mentioned earlier you guys should read the script, the screenplay, because it is uh, very illuminating to the rest of the movie. This is um this is love. Th- I wrote this down. This is love's character introduction in the script. Um, love, polite, efficient, perfect, moral as a tornado, and about as safe. Beautiful, yes, the way a sword can be beautiful if it's safely behind glass. How fucking good is that? That's great. That's really and if good. the sword had bangs. Badass. That sword had bangs. <laughs> Hats off to uh, Michael Green and Hampton Fancher. Holy shit, that's such a good character introduction. That's really great, yeah. I don't know if she pulls off the bang, but I, you know, I think the bangs make her more terrifying. Um, but like, yeah, I'm focusing on the bangs. I'm just looking at photos of her. But no, like, love is tremendous, like, terrifying. Terrifying, like, absolutely. She's so cold and like, She's so odd, and she there's so much inner conflict going on. Like I love that scene when she's like, you, like when um, there's very few, there's very uh, fi- finite amount of action in this movie, but like um, when they're there, they're pretty good. Like this action scenes, I mean. Um, and the scene where he gets ambushed by these um scavengers or whatever, and then like a whole bunch of like this drone starts she's dropping, getting bombs. her nails done. I know, but like, done, yeah. she's just looking up with these like 3D glasses or whatever, and she's just saying, "Fire, yep. over, fire, fire." And then she ends it like, "Come on, get up now and do your fucking job." And I'm just so like, "Holy good. mother so God, good. oh my, she's horrifying." She, like, she's a, she's definitely a high, her performance is mm. certainly a highlight of the movie for sure, and mm. uh, her character's very uh, "Love me, daddy, please love me, daddy." <laughs> of uh, she's, like, she's like a bomb. She's like always about like when she expl- when she yells and says where is he is like the most like jar jarring thing. She's like jumping. She's like oh my god. You know don't maybe scream. I I can't remember if they ever confirmed this, but it could be that love is a higher model than than well, K. She, so she kind of so she it. may even know the functions of that model that because, K is because she says you know when she kills Robin Wright's character she says you know we're programmed to not be able to lie or hurt humans and then she says i'm gonna tell them that you attacked me so she lies to her and then kills her so like the attack she, clearly humans, not, right. she clearly is not bound by the same rules that other replicants are bound to her programming is different yeah it is kind of fucking nuts that wallace can just kill the like the chief of the lapd and just be like yeah man it's whatever i mean it's like like you know she she's not it's not like she does it out in the open she, and she lies about true. it you know but she like I love how she does like enters twice into the LAPD something that's supposed to be so s- secure and commits two different murders in that building. <laughs> I think it's kind of funny. She's like walks in, commits one murder, grabs some stuff. Is like you know what I need to go back and I I, I gotta commit that another murder. Right, I got more right, murders to commit. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm just like yeah, man. What are you gonna do, like boss? I got it. It's nine. It's a nine to five job. You know, you clock in, you clock out, you murder right. one, you murder two. <laughs> that's what it is. Uh, uh, Jack, yeah, favorite scene. Terrifying. Yeah, it's their favorite team. There you go. Usually with this, I don't like to go for the obvious. I I get jitters every time I see that Vegas scene. Mm. That entire portion yeah. that takes oh, place Harrison in that. Ford. In that. He's fantastic. Harris, I mean, oh, he didn't even talk Harrison Ford. Man. We'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We didn't even talk Rachel. Oh, my God. You know, I think that Vegas scene is so good and because what, what there's a lot yeah, of, there's like a Vegas sequence. Because, like, I guess I was just sequence. you're right. No, you're right. Um, 
I think I was just referencing the entire portion that well, we got to choose one. But it, it, that's it, really it, long. That's it sounds like long. his 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 approach in Vegas. Like as he's walking up for the first time, it sounds like that's what you were really latching onto. Like before he even finds Deckard. Yeah. Um. But I guess to specify, I'll say the fight mm, in yes. the casino so because with the, El- with the Elvis hologram. Yeah, and I think the Elvis hologram harkens back to like the '50s. And when I think the '50s, I think nostalgic perfection. And then flash the contrast that to we're in the future and we're in hell. <laughs> we're in yeah, like it's, it's weak yeah. dystopia. And so it's like, oh my gosh, like things were like we got to see Elvis perform live once. I don't know. Uh maybe that's a No, it's good. Yeah, that's so good that's yeah. Good The good sound stuff. design in the sound editing and sound design in it's that really great. Scene it's really, is, really good in fucking incredible like i remember seeing it in the first time like in the theater i remember it being so loud because it was like pure silence just walking walking and then like you would see like the you would see uh the uh, hologram pop up and it'd still be silent and then it would be like on a delay and then the, the elves would come out of nowhere and it would just like boom through the speakers on edge it was fucking and you were just like what is happening right now and you're also oh like you're also waiting for one of them to like jump out and hit the other one. So like, oh, there's like yeah. a lot of tension and like the, the sound, the jarring sound cutting in. And I was like adding to that tension. It's, it's really, really well done shit. It's really, it's just yeah. like the most technically proficient movie in like, it's, it's yeah. as well directed and like technically like the craftly sound. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Craft in every department, editing, cinematography, like it's a Mad Max Fury road in the sense of how well crafted every single piece of technical work yes. it is. In a very expansive movie. You mentioned the you mentioned the editing real quick about the editing. The opening scene with uh, Saffron Morton, Dave Batista, um, he finds Kay sitting in his living room, in his kitchen rather, and like the conversation begins very amicable, like they're friendly. You know, mm-hmm. Saffron Morton's like on edge, but like he's he's guarded, but like Kay's very friendly. It's but then he said, but then he says um, he offers him garlic, and Kay says, "No, I like to keep an empty stomach until the hard part of the day is over." And that's like an escalation in the tension of the conversation. That's like confirming to Sapper, yes, I'm here for a bad reason. What an arrogant piece of shit. Um, <laughs> immediately, immediately after he says that line, it cuts to a close-up of the boiling pot on the stove because it is visually indicating the upping tension in the conversation. That's such a great cut and such very a good, you know, a very again, very good editing, very well thought out. Just everything about this is very well thought out. Hell yeah. Tell your own kind. JB, favorite before. scene. Uh, favorite scene. I, don't, um, I got one. I don't know if this is actually my favorite scene, but like just the moment I mentioned earlier when he is leaving the replicant revolutionaries and sees the ad for joy, and just like the close up of Gosling's face where his he's got the bandage on his nose, yep, he's got bandage. black eyes, and just the purple light and on that him. that purple and blue. And just, oh, like, the the blank in this movie. Mm. The blank look mm. on his face as he looks at the joy ad and just like contemplates the meaninglessness of everything. He's not the chosen one. His girlfriend's dead. Maybe she never even their relationship wasn't even real in the first place. Just like everything's crashing down on him. It's just be a real boy. Fucking it's moment. Amazing. It's so good. It's amazing. Um, yeah. That's... We didn't even mention this, but the like how how they film that intersect that intersection of apartments where we first meet with Kenzie Davis and and it's like we see like the town square. We, yeah, it's like the town square almost. Like it's so similar to how they film it in that in one of the opening scenes with Deckard in the original. Yeah, and it looks, yes, in like I agree. Los oh, Angeles, yeah. like, 
yeah. melting pot almost where it's like yeah. there's so much life here and and it's all in a co- coexist well, you feel like a hive it's condensed yeah, yeah and you, it's and condensed you feel claustrophobic too. which is not how la is like the, not how la yeah la is not like exactly that. it's like the least claustrophobic place in the world mm-hmm. Um, I mean, besides, like, no, not in the world. What the fuck am I talking about? But no. Wyoming's um, a little less claustrophobic than LA, I think. I, 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 I can confirm that. <laughs> I, I can confirm that. Um, my favorite scene is the reservoir. I, 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 for some reason, I just want to call it a reservoir, even fine, though it might be the actual ocean. About it, but, the, like, the reservoir fight scene, mm, I think, is water. incredible. And I think, and I think, I mean, the cinematography is great. That must have been one of the worst things in the world to shoot. If you talk to any director, they say shooting while wet or with any kind of like large body of water is one of the most horrible things you could ever do as a director. It's horribly like frustrating and everyone is cold and it's just a nightmare. So I can't even imagine. Yeah. But like Hans Zimmer's score and there's barely any dialogue. I mean, again, this movie doesn't have much dialogue, but there's just such great face acting. And yeah, there's particularly cut Sylvia Hooks. Exactly. I mean, hooks in that scene. Yeah, she doesn't need to say a word, and she's like the most terrifying person in the world. And also, but you do feel kind of empathetic for like who she is as a person. How oh, she's yeah, that's, just like that's, I that's just a rough death. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a rough death. Um, and like the sh- the editing between cut to like Decker drowning and mm-hmm. yeah. um, yes. uh, Kay Very just true. fighting, and it's mm-hmm. brutal. And uh, like also, and then the you should have left me to die out here. You did. Yes. It was great. Um, And there's, yeah, and there's just, like, that first little, like, when, um, so Decker, or uh, Kay shoots the driver. He comes up close. You know, Love is hiding behind a chair. And he, like, he sees Decker for the first time. They make eye contact. And there's this little facial expression Harrison Ford has, like, okay, you're here to kill me, right? Like, that's that's what you're here to do? Like, you know, and and he, you kind of, and I th- you see, like, Kay just look at him, think about it, and he's like, no, I can't do it. Like, and it, it's just like, a little quick moment. Because he and is there to kill him. Like, the Fraza, you know, Marsha from Succession did tell him to go kill go kill Ducker. But I, but I think he, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm curious if he, if he decided to do that right before not to kill him, or he did in oh. that moment. I mean, I think um, the audience doesn't know. The audience doesn't know if he's going to kill him when he walks up. But I think he knows he's not. I think he decided when he saw the joy advertisement. Nothing may be real. It may be all meaninglessness. Never, but I, ch- I yeah. choose to go be a part of something real by helping Deckard well, find his daughter. I'm choosing to be a part of something real. Also, he's like the you've never seen a miracle thing plays in his head again right after yeah. that. And I think yes. that's the decision. That's he's another like, thing I to, to edit out in a yeah yeah. <laughs> I, I, in the Josh Bradley cut. But that makes, but that, you know, but that kind of makes the, you know, it hits the nail on the head. Like, he wants to be a part of a miracle. He wants to, he wants to reunite a man with his daughter. Um, and that's, and that's, and, and that's in that brief look between Deckard and, and Gosling, like you said, in that, in that, in your favorite yeah. scene. It, I, it, but like, yeah, like the cuts between him drowning and like the, how wet they are. I don't know why that matters, but they're very wet. Um, and the cinematography and how brutal it is. And the, it's just, it's so drag him out. And then like, k choking her to death is fucking brutal and then you see these cuts that show from like love's point of view in the water and you see this like this monolithic figure just yeah. hovering over her and it and he's just like screaming with pure rage and it's just uh i love it. it's also kind of cathartic because all the movie has been kind of built up to just like let's get this shit over with um, 
And I like that how like Neander Wallace is some big bad guy that Joe's got to face off against. No, and I like how they don't kill him or anything. Yeah, it's not even even like him and Love are so like at ends. Like it's not a battle of wits. They're two like machines. You know, it's it's. It's not like a battle of ideology either. It's it's an interesting villain complex. And she like stabs him and like kind of almost guts him. Like she like drags the <laughs> knife down down his uh, down his um, his stomach. And she and he she kisses him and says, "I'm the best one with blood and with blood on her nose." And then like dives in to go like get Deckard. And I'm just like, "Holy mother! This is some fuck." Like there's, there's a lot of issues going on here. Wouldn't it be funny uh, if like when mm-hmm. she guts him, there was like a bunch of motor oil. That came out and like, <laughs> like gears like and milk. wires or like yeah, milk, milk from like yeah, alien, right, from alien. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah that would have been funny <laughs> um yeah no that's my like, favorite scene I think it's like you just really started awesome. short circuiting like a mm-hmm. and it was also like gorgeous because like it's it's dark but you can see like kind of enough light from the actual like Very car or whatever Very um yeah yeah I, re- I really dig it and again like emotional catharsis like he's so tired he's bleeding to death and he grabs decker and decker's like you should have let me die and he's like i did i'm so tired dude let's just let's talk about this later you you died there <laughs> i'm so tired yeah i'm dying let's just get you to your i'm daughter. a machine and i'm exhausted um yeah no that's that's pretty great um and, I'm, and his final death scene is nice too i mean great motif um yeah i find this movie just very soothing it's because it's not that intense well it's just yeah, like the, well just i think it's pretty intense but the the ending scene is death scene like the you said the tears and rain music starts playing the snow starts falling and like he like watches the snow fall onto him and it's reminiscent of the last time he was at this building which was when he found out he was the mm-hmm. replicant child i mean wrongly but that's what he thought and he walks out and like looks at the snow fall into his hand feeling real for the first time and then you know the next the th- then the third act happens but then he we end with him at you know outside the same building again watching the snowfall again hopefully feeling real as he dies because he chose a lot to of hand shots in this a lot of hand shots yes a lot yes. of hand shots got those hands um yeah no uh, yeah and also there's that hand shot of like when joy's like when joy's experiencing the outside for the first time like how like she's calibrating the um like she's her hologram is like the water is going through her hologram and she's calibrating. Yeah, weird. A lot of a lot of hand stuff. Uh, not that hand stuff, but other. Well, I mean, you see some hand stuff. Never, never mind. Um, what was any thoughts is, besides hand stuff? Um, I don't know. Hand stuff's a lot. There's a lot of closing thoughts with hand stuff. Uh, no, I don't. I don't think so. I really dig this movie. I, I um, it's it's my second favorite that came out this year. Um, my first favorite is a movie we'll definitely talk about is Get Out um mm. that's that's my but like no this is a, it's a little it's a little indie hit yeah right? but this is yeah. one of like this will always be one of my favorite theatrical experiences just seeing it it's true it was like that mad max at astra and the inner nerd in me like like endgame but like those like real pure emotional spectacles where i'm just like blown away by just yeah. the overall film you know the the technique and the bunch of I, I prestigious think- bullshit like that I think it's great craft, as we've talked about. I think it's an engrossing story, as we've talked about. I think it's a philosophical quandary and fun to think about and fun to, like, pull apart, as we've done for the last two hours. So, yeah, I mean, I, I fucking love yeah. this movie, and yeah. I, I think it's amazing. It's it's an instant classic. Yeah. It's I, I, 
no, no matter how it performed at the time, it's I think it will be looked upon with as much acclaim and um, championing for many decades down the line. I hope so. Yeah. And it's up um, to us. We're doing guys. So <laughs> it's it's uh, literally it's just us three. Um, do you have anything to to promote? Any anything you would you would like to plug? No. I mean, my YouTube channel is Movies I Love, and so can you. Google it. It'll come up. I don't post very often, but I am working on a video about this movie, so you'll hear me regurgitate some of the things I've said here in a video. Nice. Yes. <laughs> With visuals. Perfect. Yes. Uh, Jack, where can everyone find you? Uh, yeah. I Last time I checked. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I'm Jack A. Draper on Twitter, and that's... Yeah, and my... Writing can be found on the Simple Cinephile and Cineflix Daily and uh, Cinema Etc. Places like that. What was ooh, the new ooh. piece you just dropped? Yeah. What was the brand new piece? I forget. <laughs> um, Tagged me. Well, I don't know. No. Oh, it was McKee and Mrs. Miller. Yeah. That's your comfort that's my, food movie. That is. Oh man, that's that's my chicken noodle soup right there. <laughs> and where can they find that piece? Uh, Cineflix Daily. Cineflix Daily. Yeah. Go check that out. Everyone can follow me at Clayfilm100 on Twitter, on Instagram, on Letterboxd. Please follow the Twitter account of the podcast at ETTPod. We'll put those polls up, I guess. I don't know. We'll talk <laughs> about that later. Um, please remember to rate, review, subscribe to both those. Definitely the those... Uh, Jake Jalen Hall, Ryan Gosling one, if nothing else. Yeah, we'll actually put that up. Curious. I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, I'm very curious. Um, but remember to rate, rate, review, subscribe. Give us five stars on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. Please um, send us a voicemail on Anchor if you can. Um, and I want to just uh, plug some Oh, donations. by the way, before you do that, next week is Support the Girls of Kyle Amato. Mm, that, good movie. That's very, that's good, very great, fun. Great, that's great very movie. exciting. We love Kyle. Um, I just want to plug some donations where you can support um, in this time of... This huge movement that I think we all need to be a part of and we all need to speak out and we all need to take a stand of this horrible racial inequality that America is full, is finally wake, waking up to because, you know, it's taken us too damn long. Speaking um, of oppression. Yeah. Um, accepting. Uh, so please donate to any of these uh, following uh, places. Black Visions Collective, Campaign Zero, Innocence Project, Communities United Against Police Brutality, No New Jails NYC, Know Your Rights Camp, Committee to protect journalists, Black Lives Matter. Please uh, donate any money you can. We really appreciate it. Um, this is a really important time. Um, and I just want to say, closing out, um, justice for Tony McDade, justice for George Floyd, just, justice for Manuel Ellis, justice for Bianca Taylor, justice for Ahmaud Arbery, justice for David McTee, McActee, sorry, justice for Dion Johnson, justice for James Sherlock. Uh, please, guys, stay safe. Um, and fight on. Black Lives Matter.